Today's episode is brought to you by the Vegas Bear Guys and Tua T Fitness. Today's episode is brought to you by the Sounds in Cinema podcast. Everything sequel contains explicit language. And why the fudge not, you melon farmer? Hello and welcome to the Everything Sequel Podcast. This is the Indiana Jones edition. Today, we're talking Temple of Doom, and you're listening to fantastic music. No matter what Tom thinks, the conductor stole it from himself from. (laughs) My name is Michael Schantz of the How Dare You Awards. The melodious sounds you're about to hear are Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions. Defend yourself, Tom. We are going (laughs) to die. You know, when you watch the the behind-the-scenes stuff on Indiana Jones, because you don't think of Harrison Ford automatically as a funny person. But he's fucking funny. And when you watch behind-the-scenes stuff, and when you see, like, the the choices he's mm -hmm. making as an actor in this movie, he is a funny man. Well, I didn't do the full quotable there. Yeah. Because it, it goes, we are going to die... Muppet face and scene. Yeah. <laughs> I love that Muppet face. It's a masterclass in facial acting. It which makes comes... me laugh every single time I watch the movie. And it comes sort of minutes after he does the same with hand acting. Mm-hmm. With the fist? With the, the bugs? His, his, his hand. <laughs> it made me... Um... It made me want uh, like a Zidane-style documentary where you're just following Harrison Ford's hands around a movie. Yeah. Well, you've talked about okay. that before, his pointing acting, and how you, well, how you would yeah. always want to try to put that in, uh, uh, a Harrison Ford point into your roles. A- a- every every chance I get, yeah. yeah. And, it, you know, the, if, if, if the director will let me, I'll do the double point. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, there's, there's not much license for that. There's not many scripts I've done where they're going seven, three, ten. <laughs> That's a triple point, to be fair. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I, I'll, I'll also I'll I'll just say right now, I think this movie has my favorite Harrison Ford point of all time. Pointing acting, yeah. Well, I might as well say it, say it now. This is—I don't think this is the peak of Harrison Ford as a film actor. For me, that period is the late eighties to the early nineties. So, mm-hmm. the basically the problem wife trilogy of Presumed Innocent, Frantic, <laughs> and The Fugitive. Yeah, uh, that's where I feel like he's best as a film actor. But Temple of Doom, I think, is the peak of. His film stardom. Oh, that's interesting. And we'll talk about you. I'll I'll give specific examples of that as we go. But just I just wanted to thumbnail that there. Yeah, I mean, because when uh, you think about it, uh, well, he's got three separate iconic looks in this movie. Yeah. And if that's not film stardom, I don't know what is. Mm -hmm. Well, I was going to say time-wise too, because you you have some 
uh, iconic roles back to back because this is 84 yeah. and 83 he's finishing up with Han Solo in Return of the Jedi. And so that yeah. that's that's he's, two, he's two iconic roles co- back to back. He he shed those extra carbonite pounds right. and he's uh, <laughs> But when you think about it, he peak, did that twice. Condition. He did that twice cuz he did it with Empire and Raiders as well, so yeah. Not to mention, isn't uh, uh, when was Blade Runner eighty two? Mm-hmm. So he's do he's doing Blade. He did Blade Runner in the middle of that. Yeah, right. Kind of, uh, you know, uh, another kind of iconic. Later iconic. It wasn't popular somewhat, at the time. Somewhat franchise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I mean, yeah, the, uh, definitely the. The most famous roles he did are in this period. I just think the work he does on screen is better slightly later into the 80s, which coincidentally is exactly the same uh, the way I feel about Sean Connery. I think they peak at exactly the same moment. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. And so, you know, it's almost kismet that, that both of them are well, when I think... together in at the peak of both their acting prowess. Right. When I think of you know, back to back. I maybe not that the movies were back to back. I don't know. I'd have to look that up. But uh, Last Crusade, Sean Connery, followed by uh, Hunt for Red October, Sean Connery, where you kind of introduce yeah, this and... new look, hair, flat tops. You know, yeah. uh, the 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 real uh, master wig class portion of his career. And of course, all that's coming off the Untouchables. Sure. So. Again, I think you know it's that there's a kind of uh, they they they're both in the middle of the best film trilogy of their lives. Yeah, right. Unfortunately, it's not it's not a trilogy based around a particular franchise, but <laughs> but just a trilogy of their best films. Yeah, and well, this this uh, you know first sequel, Temple of Doom, was supposed to be the middle part of a trilogy that ended up becoming something much more. Well, and this is interesting too because uh, this is a prequel. Yeah, should probably say that up front. Sure. And I think they, th- I think they thought that would solve a lot of narrative problems, and it does. I think it does. Yeah, I think there's things that it does help. Until you think about it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Because because I, I I understand the impulse to do it as as a pre as a prequel because then. It becomes a standalone adventure. You don't have to deal with the baggage of of what happened in Raiders. Sure. But at the same time, he's already gone through this adventure. So what happens in Raiders should be no surprise to him. Yeah. (laughs) And yet it is. (laughs) It really does seem like Raiders is the first time he's gone through any of these experiences. uh, Yeah, the, the craziness. He, he has a line in that movie about not believing in religious hocus pocus. Yeah. But he sees a lot of hocus pocus in this film. That's right. Uh, yeah, it's 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 interesting that they I think, you know, they only half thought through the problem. Sure. But uh, but also, you know, I mean, the well, I think we'll we'll expand the prequel conversation as we go, because there are elements of prequels in the next movie there's references to mm-hmm. the prequel tv series in kingdom of the crystal skull so uh, they're testing the waters here for for young indiana jones for sure maybe yeah probably 
Well, ladies and gentlemen, we're talking our favorite in the series, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, a 1984 film directed by Steven Spielberg. Perhaps you've heard of him. Jaws, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, E.T., Schindler's List, and on and on. I know we've already burned um, one Jiminy Glick reference on the ranking episode. <laughs> so what a good he one, did though. Do an, he did do an interview with Spielberg where he asked him, when are you going to do the big one? <laughs> yeah, I remember. You know, the one that really, the one really connects with the, with the audience. <laughs> and I love Spielberg's reaction because you can see you can see him sort of like, his his gut reaction is, how dare you say that to me? I'm Steven Spielberg. And then he thinks around that and how bad a color that is on him. And, he, and then he's just like, oh, okay. Uh, I, I, oh, you went there. Okay. I will choose to play along. Yeah. I was, I, I, Even was though it wasn't my moment. first thought. Yes, absolutely. Well, this movie, you know, 77% on Rotten Tomatoes. I find this interesting for... At least, certainly for these two first sequels, this and Last Crusade, uh, they're not gangbusters in terms of what reviewers thought at the time. So this one, 77% on Rotten Tomatoes, but this movie was just as popular as Raiders. A budget of $28 million, opening weekend of $25.3 million. In the USA, $179.8 million. And in the world, $333.1 million. And that's 1984. Wow, those uh, those conservative Christian parents really didn't do anything nah. to make this movie more popular. Yeah, they, did, they? They, didn't give a sh- <laughs> they didn't give a shit enough to keep kids out of the movie theaters. Yeah, or they or they they um, inadvertently brought them into the theaters. Yeah, right, right. When they weren't considering going in in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, where to start? I mean. My first. Oh, I know where to start. <laughs> okay, what, what were you going <laughs> to say? With one of the most famous uh, logo conversions in the history of cinema. Yeah, I love it so much. Pa- the Paramount logo, which turns into some kind of a gong uh, mount. <laughs> well, it, I mean, in in each of the well, I can't say that anymore. Up until the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, the Paramount logo would turn into some kind of mountain peak. Peak. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but this is an inversion of the of the original because yeah. it's just a pit, it's a picture of a mountain on a gong which I which love. Nobody saw coming. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's one of the reasons I love it so much. That's surprise number one it's, of the movie. Full it's of that surprises. second one. There is an inversion and a surprise. Also, and I think I mentioned this in the ranking episode when we were talking about how serialized this movie feels. Yeah. And it starts right at the top with the music. Completely. The music cue with the reveal of the gong is very serialized. Feels very 1930s serial. I I also like that it's it's an inverted optical illusion. So the mm-hmm. so the original goes from goes from uh like a a picture of a mountain which is as bad as big as it is. Yeah. To an actual mountain which is, you know, several thousand times bigger mm-hmm. and then this is like we just go from actual size to actual so the, the, <laughs> yeah. the image of the the image of the mountain on the gong is pretty much what the paramount logo is sure. it's, like, it's an actual size mountain yeah 
and we'll keep playing with those size distinctions <laughs> throughout the yeah, next couple Yeah, absolutely. Of well, here's my second note. One of the reasons I love this movie, well, maybe I'm taking it a bridge too far. I don't know that this is why I love the movie. I don't think But so. it's something I respect about this movie, especially as a sequel. Uh, it has the courage to change font and color and type for its titles. Mm-hmm. And none of the other sequels can say that. <laughs> that no, they, they all default to the Raiders font. Yeah. And... It's something I admire about the the film as well, because first of all, it's a very bold choice. Again, in a in a in a, in in a, a movie scene and filled movie with bold choices. Bold, bold choices. But this is the this is the kind of the titular one. Rather, it, it's it's good because because it in it's an inversion of the original font that remains in the spirit of matinee adventure films. Sure. And also shows you that this is going to be an enhanced version of that mm -hmm. by upping the color and spectacle of the title. Mm -hmm. So it's working on all those different levels. And I well, I've got one more lo one more logo note before we oh. get too far into this. Okay. By too far, I mean, I don't know, we're in second three right now. Yeah. There's a logo within a logo here. Because um, <laughs> the, the, the kidding of the gong. Yeah. Is a reference back to the Arthur J. Rank logo, which was the uh, like a Brit like a British uh, populist film company from the fifties and sixties, who who kind of made a lot of the movies that Spielberg and Lucas would have grown up with. Okay, um, so <laughs> we ha we have a we have a meta logo here as well, <laughs> which I think is um, is beautiful. Yeah, and then you know the. T even before the title comes up, Spielberg's future wife steps out of the most vagina-looking dragon's mouth I've ever seen. So for sure, we're on we're on Freudian ground before the movie even begins. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and uh, oh, sorry, had a uh, garbage disposal. I guess I hear that must be my downstairs neighbors. Maybe it was oh, them right. all along. Maybe I'm blaming blaming the wrong people. You murdered that woman for nothing. <laughs> that was worth it. <laughs> All right. Uh, so. Everything sequel, the trial. <laughs> are, are you on my page about this? Well, first of all, I want to say something. Because I, <laughs> I, first of all, I was going to say that I love this credit sequence. Yes. I love everything about it. Yeah. But I was also going to say. I think one thing that's interesting about all Indiana Jones movies is that they have a cold open without a cold open. Sure, yeah, it's exactly. It's a it's the idea of a standalone opening scene rather than a than a pre-titles cold right. open. Right. They I do think. the James Bond thing, but it's an yeah. inversion of the James Bond thing because they don't it's not a cold open. They have the credits and then they have the kind of Cold-ish yeah. open. It's more the like lukewarm never open. Again. Sure, yeah, right. <laughs> That's what they're going for. It was a year earlier, and Connery was in. There you go. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I love. I, if you're asking me, how do I love this? Let me count the ways. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> I mean, first of all, let, and it, you know, this movie's been around for so long. I think occasionally we need to remind ourselves. Of how bold a choice it is to begin the sequel to Raiders of the Lost Ark 
with a Chinese language version of a classic Broadway, Broadway yeah, right. tap number. <laughs> and that's just the choice. That doesn't even get... The, the execution is even bolder yeah. than the choice here. Absolutely. Because because rather than... You know, the, the fact that this happens... The, the fact that this opens the movie is one thing. The fact that Spielberg decides that he's going to do a, a, a tribute to Busby Berkeley's utopian musicals of the 30s as demonstrated by the Gold Digger series and 42nd Street and, you know, create an entirely impossible cinematic space within this nightclub. Yeah, right. That's the thing. That's one of the things I love about it is that this is supposed to be happening for a group of people sitting in a restaurant that couldn't possibly be happening. But that sort of magic, magical realism aspect of it is very appealing to me. And that's... You know, that's uh, Spielberg talked in talks in the making of it. It's really interesting. He says, you know, this is uh, this is an expression of my desire to to make a movie musical. Yeah. And it's interesting that he's only uh, achieved that ambition just a couple years couple ago. Years. Yeah. Right. It's crazy. But the, but this, you know, you can you can really tell, you know, his commitment mm-hmm. to this musical sequence is to essentially treat it like a self-contained movie. Mm hmm. And to observe all the stylistic conventions of that genre, right? While he, yeah, while he's doing it. But something I did—it's inter- so before. interesting because he's flexing a different muscle for this one thing. He he. But something I never noticed, and something that is that that I realized needed to be in there, even though I'd never noticed it before. I'd never know. Have did you ever notice Willie stumbling? Oh, I before? notice it every time, and I love it. Okay, I love that it's. I think it's great. I love that I they mean, keep it, re- it. It's so fantastic. Because it's it's it it starts to introduce us to the character behind the performer exactly as as early as we can in the movie, but also it 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 it, it folds back into the world of Indiana Jones, where our heroes and heroines are followed. Are yeah, a little bit sloppy, right? <laughs> A little bit, a little bit sloppy, <laughs> and and you know, color wise, there's so much going on with the reds and the blues. There's different levels of quality mm-hmm. of color. Douglas Slocum's cinematography is is off the charts. Well, ever here. since watching The Fablemans, I couldn't, I could, I, I couldn't help. Did you watch that movie, by the way? I have not seen that. Movie okay, either. so there's a moment in that where young Steven Spielberg has shot an action film, uh-huh. and when he plays it. Uh, I forget wherever he's playing it, but he's, you know, playing it for friends and family somewhere or mm-hmm. or people in the neighborhood, I think. And people are firing guns and you're seeing what kind of look like muzzle flares from the guns and nobody oh. could figure out how he did it. And I think there was a terrible fight or something and his dad's driving him home and he said, uh, so how did you do that? And he goes, oh, I just uh, put pinholes where all mm. the guns are so the light would come through it. And I couldn't help but think about that while I was watching this dance sequence with the stars. Like, you know, it looks like outer space stars flashing uh, before our very eyes. He's going above and beyond and actually trying to reproduce the the texture of film Mm -hmm. of those early 1930s musicals. Yeah. And, you know, so he's, he's, he's taking it all to a level that I mean, it mat. It's 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 a mission statement for the movie. Because this movie is all about excess, mm-hmm. 
So it's coming out of the gates telling you this is the kind of movie we're going to be. But it's, you know, it's a it's a it's a studious tribute to the kind of film that's being referenced, which is also what this movie and the Indiana Jones movies is all about. Sure. The fact that, the, 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 you know, it's it, they picked anything goes, <laughs> you know, it, it sets the tone for the for, for the outrageousness of this of this movie. Yeah. I, I, and it's, you know, the other thing about it is. And again, this is where this is why you know the Ferrari around Nuke the fridge irritates me so much. We're breaking the fourth wall for moment one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Willie is singing this into the camera. I mean, it's th- this movie is making no pretense that it's not a movie. Yeah, and that everything that happens within it happens in the cinematic fantasy world. And I don't know. I think when you come out of the gates with that. It can't be a topic of criticism later on in the series. Well, what do you, th- you... when you've established that? Uh huh. Early on in the like the first thing that happens in the sequels is we abandon all semblance of realism. I th- but... I mean I think that I I look at them a little bit differently, but fine. <laughs> yeah, you know, sorry. I I don't like I don't see Willie Scott. Uh, staring down the barrel of the camera the same thing as a mile and a half refrigerator lead line refrigerator roll as equal parts. It's actually more plausible. No, I think he's dead inside that refrigerator. What about what what about those poor people inside the dragon's mouth? (laughs) Fucking inner space in there for them. They don't suffocate. (laughs) That's what I mean. We're happy to buy into... Well, I don't know if everyone was happy to buy into I think Steven Spielberg makes us buy into it. Also, I don't don't think we're necessarily saying it's an actual dragon's mouth. Obviously, it's ridiculous in terms of what space the club they're at actually has. But I don't mind that he gets to go into our minds of imagination. If all those people can survive in that tidy space there... Then uh, Indy can survive in a lead-lined fridge. Mm-hmm. That was an important detail you left out. I said lead-lined. <laughs> Don't tell me oh, what did? I did okay. and didn't say. I know what I said. It's still stupid. Yeah, and so is this. Let's embrace stupid. No, this is fun stupid. I think that's fun stupid as well. But though I'm not making that argument quite yet. I'll say. But anyway, <laughs> uh, we can come back. To, I'm sure we can come back to a consensus over the sure the uh the bondian touches that are all over this opening scene mm-hmm. um i mean yeah well i mean let's press on in in that vein and talk about fancy indie well fancy fancy indie's wearing the tuxedo from goldfinger which means <laughs> he's wearing his dad's clothes <laughs> <laughs> And of course, you know the idea of this is a standalone opening, standalone opening scene. Sure. Um, that same idea that Spielberg talks about starting this movie two thirds of the way through Indy's last adventure. I think that's what some of the Bond cold opens were going for as well. And then the language of having the villain, the henchman, these uh, these Bond archetypes, mm-hmm. the ally. Wu Han is is your classic Bond ally. Oh, so good. Who <laughs> the following year would be an actual Bond ally? <laughs> he well, would. He would. Is be, that uh, a view to a Felix, kill? Not. Yeah, not Felix Leiter in a view to a kill because yeah. they didn't have the courage to make Felix Leiter Asian. <laughs> 
And it doesn't hurt that Harrison Ford is in the best shape of his life and that that tuxedo fits him like a glove. Oh, man. I can't even begin to tell you. Is this the handsomest? Yeah, like the, the from the second he's on screen in this movie, I so wanted to be him. Yeah. I remember friend of the show, Pam Flora. It's still a funny joke between the two of us. We went to a, a what was it, a homecoming dance together, and I wanted that tuxedo. <laughs> so... I rented that, and still to this day, every time that picture is shown to me, I get pissed because uh, something on the, you know, the actual lapels, they were crooked or something. It was, like, kind of bunched up. And I was like, nobody even noticed that before they snapped the picture. I don't look at all like Indiana Jones. I thought you were going to say... I don't look suave and debonair. I thought you were going to say, I got mad because he, Indy's wearing my tuxedo. No, no. When in fact he's wearing his father's tuxedo. Yeah. And, but at the same time, you know, it's not, there's, there's two great things about this, this use of, of the Bond imagery. One is that it's actually used in a way to articulate the key differences between James Bond and Indiana Jones, mm-hmm. which is not something that fan service understands anymore. Um, but the other the other side of it that I really like is is it's kind of a fifty fifty split between the Bond film and the nineteen thirties gangster film, right? Like the imagery is like right on the precipice between the two, right? We're, we're simultaneously playing with the idea of gangsters and malls, heavies and nightclubs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you you look at that one the 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 heavy set henchman on I think it it's the the right hand side of the frame behind Lauche. And he's like, he's got like seventies style, uh, what do you call them, sideburns, and a something of an afro. But he's dressed <laughs> like he's from the nineteen thirties. Oh, absolutely, like, yeah. That is, it's, it's like it's literally split down the middle. And uh, so I, I appreciate that it's like it, it's, it's Bond cut with another kind of genre mm-hmm. reference. But I think it's also important that, that. It's very clear that Indy is is playing the facade of Bond. Well, and so he's but is revealed to be a very different kind of hero. Exactly. So he's a different kind of hero because you know in the first movie he's trying to get this golden statue. It feels very sacred. This cross mm-hmm. in the next movie that he's been after his whole life again feels very sacred. And this one, this guy wants a fucking diamond. Diamond, Lau. It's for well, the deal was that, for the diamond. Unfortunately. That's been retconned in Young Indiana Jones. That is also the result of a lifelong quest, sadly. But it feel but I, 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 when I, you watch just the movie, not yes, taking you Indi- movie, Young Indiana Jones into account, it just feels mm-hmm. a bit more shallow. And yeah. I, I kind of like it. I, I don't know why. It, it appeals to me, this Indiana Jones. I don't like the sanctimonious Jones in the next movie with this auto belo- this belongs in a museum. I like... Yeah. This Indiana Jones that says, ah, you know, fuck it. They'll just put it in a museum where it'll collect dust. Well, I mean, you know, it's it's picking up on the, the moral ambiguity of Indiana Jones that was established in Raiders mm-hmm. and kind of running with it. And in a way that, as you say, they they walk back in the, in the next movie. I mean, the first thing we see Indiana Jones do is hold a woman he just met hostage yeah. with a sharp instrument. Yeah. In a few minutes, he's going to punch a cigarette girl in the right face. in the mouth. <laughs> so you know, this movie's making no apologies for the kind of man Indiana Jones is. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
That, I love that they lead into the glamour, but they also lead into the sleaze simultaneously. Sleaze right away. And I, you know, I mean, with all these movies, the MacGuffin is going to be important. And they either choose them wisely or they don't. And there's always kind of... Hey, <laughs> I see what you did there. They, they always kind of... Uh, uh, there's always two MacGuffins. So there's always a front scene MacGuffin and then the movie MacGuffin. And I like that in this front scene, the MacGuffin goes from his diamond to the antidote. I'm sorry, front scene MacGuffin sounds really <laughs> filthy. <laughs> I know exactly what you're describing, but when you said it out loud, it took on a totally different meaning. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's, yeah, there's... That's it. And again, it's like, you know, that was the MacGuffin of the last adventure. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that uh, is, is, and, and that because we know what happens at the end of the Raiders films, we know it's going to slip out of his hand at, at the end of Raiders. It's going to slip out of his hand. Sure. And both of these MacGuffins are, <laughs> are inversions of the arc because they're lightweight. Yeah, the exactly. Yeah. And the, I'm just going to say the diamond, because if I tell you the real name, it'll make you sad. Okay. Um, tre- treasure of the peacock's eye. Um, I said it. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> that did make me sad. And even Nahachi, you know, he's a real small guy. Yeah. Right. Uh, the ashes of uh, the. So th- they've inverted the. So because you can fit what three of those Shankara stones in a handbag. Mm-hmm. You know, you can put the diamond in your pocket. Yeah. You could, you know, as long as you're careful, you could sort of pour Nahachi into a, into a flask. <laughs> Take it. Anybody got a funnel? Anyone got a flask for my Nahachi? Oh. Yes, I, I, I absolutely absolutely agree. Shortly after this... <laughs> uh, oh, I, I know what I wanted to go back to. Your opening comment about... You were, you were kind of um, referring to my comments about John Williams, John Williams music, yes. I think this is one of his most distinctive scores. Oh, good. Which means a lot coming from me. And uh, I love that in this, uh. this sequence where they are um, they have the Lazy Susan, which mm-hmm. is turning uh, there's a MacGuffin on each side. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> and I, yeah, I love the fact that Williams goes for a literal soundscape. Yeah. It's the screeching sound of the table as it turns, which is the kind of uh, audio philosophy that I refer to as cartoon mouse stairs. <laughs> it's good. Do the sound. What's the sound of a cartoon mouse climbing stairs? Yeah. So there's all. It's literal. There's only one sound that you could do with it. Sure. And he is served the swampiest looking glass of champagne I have ever seen. Oh yeah. But I love I love the moment because you're watching that lazy Susan go back and forth and it's not on there. So when you're paying attention, it's one of the henchmen is putting it on yeah. as the diamond uh, yeah. comes his way, you know? Those small moments but, uh, are, but, are fun. But the the color and consistency of it tells you and the audience that there's poison it's in it. It's bad. So not only <laughs> yeah, is right. it it's not only is Indy behind not only is our hero in this movie behind the eight ball, he's also behind the audience. Yeah. At this point. <laughs> Because he, he has no sense that he's being poisoned, either in or in world or, or you know, we all know more than Indy. And he, right, we know and more than him. And that's one of the and... things that makes this, makes him one of the best cinematic heroes. Sure. We always, we're always one step ahead of him. When he says something like, uh, I, I'm, are, are you developing a sense of humor or am I going deaf? 
you know that yeah. he realizes he might be in trouble, and yet his arrogance is still such that he could he could you know say that line. Another thing that makes Indy not necessarily unique but different from most mainstream Hollywood heroes, uh, in a good way, is the Frasier dimension. <laughs> I've got no other way <laughs> what to do put you it. Mean? I mean that you know in the same like you the mean same, his arrogance it, or. Well, the same way we respond to Frasier is like we love him as a character, but we're happy to see him taken down a peg. Yeah, wow. sure. And he come. I mean, you know, he not only does he come in with this sort of bravado of the of the champ, the bravado of the champagne guy, uh, but he's also like you know trying to one up Willie's puns. Mm-hmm. It's just like he's insufferable. Right, right, scene. right. And so Mummies. when he gets poisoned, there's a little <laughs> bit of satisfaction from the audience that he's been put in his place. <laughs> and he's, I mean, you, you were saying you don't think of Harrison Ford necessarily as a funny guy, but, you know, even this early in the movie, he's beat mastering the comedy he's given. Oh, yeah. And I think, I think his reaction, <laughs> the way that <laughs> once he's poisoned, before he knows he's poisoned, He's trying to assert a veneer of suaveness, and he's sweating, yeah. and he can barely speak. <laughs> and I love, I love the way he plays that. I think, again, I think, I think it, it, it's a dimension that would be missed in most characterizations of, of uh, you know, like adventure heroes. Yeah, I mean, once the melee starts, there's just nothing but fun watching a hero try to do heroic things, but. A little out of balance, a little out of tune. Yeah. Not nothing really quite so well. Uh, being being shoved on the cart, not be able to grab the vial. You know, dropping balloons and and dodging bullets, but all of it a little awkwardly. It's really fun to watch. Yeah, we made reference to this in the ranking episode, but it's worth mentioning again the 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 in, the introduction and exit of Wuhan. Mm-hmm. In this scene, it, it's just uh, it's masterfully done. You you care you you, you care about him instantly, and you're sad to see like him a, go. Yeah, which I mean, that's writing, isn't it? Right. And it's and you know it's so, it's such simple stuff. They construct his dialogue. I was just gonna say that the construction of the dialogue. I go first, Indy. Yeah. That says so much about how much and how long they've known each other. Yeah. What how much they've done together. It's really if smart. You, if you do. You, if you do your job properly, you get the dialogue right, you don't need to clunk up your movie with screen time establishing characters. Mm-hmm. I think we we also get a glimpse into the horror movie, the full-on horror movie that this is going to become, <laughs> when the um, one of the henchmen gets staked like a vampire. Yeah. <laughs> with a kebab. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the garish tone is right there from the get-go. Yes. And then we get, you know, the airplane style comedy of the of punching the cigarette girl, mm-hmm. you know, the sort of it's kind of Mel Brooks movie level comedy. Uh, and then we're sort of back in a musical almost. right? Yeah, right. Hindi's <laughs> leaping around. He's leaping around. They're of, dropping balloons. The, the orchestra strikes up like nothing, uh, you know, nothing really thrilled me more when I was a kid than watching him behind the gong, grabbing for that sword, cutting the wire, the bullets hitting hitting the gong itself and jumping out that window. All of it made me, you know, you you wanted to be Indiana Jones, which I've said before. You wanted to be the man when when you watch him do stuff like that. 
And it has that kind of serial quality of the bullets are flying, but they're not too dangerous. <laughs> not not for our hero. Yeah. It's it's a it's a you know it's a dance right right it's a, yeah it's the idealized utopian version of the scene mm-hmm. um, you know when violence gets too dangerous it becomes dance you know when <laughs> when uh, when the it's something something looks dangerous it doesn't sound dangerous and vice versa mm-hmm. it's a really it, it ironically for such an excessive sequence it's really carefully put together sure. And then you know we're already deep into the Bond references because uh, Indy throws um, a symbol, yeah, right, at a henchman like our job. Uh, and yeah, and then suddenly the root like as in, almost like more balloon instead of the balloons coming down, uh, ninjas and gangsters start to seemingly yeah, right, fall from the ceiling. Right. It's like it's like Spielberg is there going, we want every kind of action movie violence. Ninjas, gangsters. <laughs> Just have them piling on the balloons. <laughs> Throw every stereotype you can. Yeah. Oh, well, we've, yeah. We've, we're, we've not even we'll begun get, that. we'll get to that, I'm sure. And uh, there is, you know, obviously Ben Bird is the sound mm-hmm. uh, meister behind this movie. I think I said it before, but there's no better gunshot sound than the gunshot sounds of an Indiana Jones movie. But particularly, like, I, I can remember from my childhood viewings of this movie, the sound design of the bullets hitting the gong as yeah. it rolls. Yeah. Like, because it's, like, every Ben Burt choice, it's not the obvious choice, but it's the right one. Mm-hmm. It's not cartoon mousters. It's like, because, <laughs> right. you know, it's, it's like, in your head you go, yeah, it should go. <laughs> but there's no, like, scientific reason why it would. Sure. <laughs> It's like audio, and of course, you know the 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 Scarface. Uh, I was just gonna say the glee with which the <laughs> the glee with which the henchman is firing that gun. It's fantastic. Well, and then it's out the window, and we meet Short Round. We certainly do. I mean, <laughs> you know, I remember I remember listening to the the Indiana Jones minutes episode, which was featuring former guest of the show pete the retailer mm-hmm. when 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 short round arrives in the movie it's like wow there are two jar jars in this movie <laughs> <laughs> and listen it's it's like we'll get into the how dare we'll, he we'll, have, well there are two per- divisive sidekicks in this movie mm-hmm. in, in indiana jones fandom uh they're both in the same movie um which doesn't help the arguments for them but um i'll we'll I, get, i'll we'll, stick up for both of them I will stick up for both of them as well, but I just want to say that a lot of Willie's dialogue, actually a lot of Willie and Short Round's dialogue, translates very easily into Gungan. <laughs> you can really imagine Jar Jar Binks saying, Diesel Nahachi, a real small guy. But no, but that. That's, All right, that's I, the one know, and only one I'm gonna give you. It's low, <laughs> it's low hanging fruit. I'll say. Um, but it, you know, and it also feels like you know one of those uh, kind of movie producer satires. It's like it's like we're doing a sequel to Indiana Jones. <laughs> we need a ditz, ditzy blonde and an Asian kid. <laughs> uh, but but I mean you know this is the. We, we talk all the time about sequels introducing children. So I, that's what it, I wanted into, to bring into up. Into the right. franchise 
franchise formula where they were not there before. And it's you. Uh, I think we have we talked in the past about how it's usually a bad idea to bring a kid into a sequel. Yeah, is that the isn't that the overall narrative we've talked about before? It's dangerous. Yeah, it's a slippery right, slope. Right. And so, and I think that's how. Afterlife. Right. And I think that's how most people feel about this movie, but I completely disre- disagree with it. Yeah. And part of it, I you know, I part of it is because of how how great a performer K uh, K Hui Kwan is. Boy, we said we'd have a trouble with that, and I couldn't get it out yeah. of my mouth hole. Before we went, we went on oh no, air. We, we simultaneously <laughs> asked each other the classic white person question. How do you say that? Well, I'm so used to saying key, but I guess it's K. K Hui Quan. Great. Lesson over. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, after our house party series, no one's expecting how could a they? great deal of racial racial sensitivity from the two of us. <laughs> Um, but but neither is this movie, so we're, yeah, we're so in good we're company. Fine. Because I, I was, you know, at, at the at the point where you're going, wow, it's great, you know, that there's a an Asian lead to the movie. What a great progressive moment! And then the, throughout this car chase sequence, there's lots of dubbed Asian noises. Yeah, there's a rickshaw driver who is kind of, you know, dubbed in a way that even in a '30s movie you'd be like, "Can they do that?" Even just that uh, guy that gets stuck on the hood of the car with the look before he's thrown yeah. off of it. It's and it's you know it's the kind of and again I I like <laughs> it's that that get out of jail free card that that the Spielbergs and the Lucases of the world always pull when they're accused of racism is we're just trying to recreate the films of our youth which are racist. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> or the culture of our youth and like that's kind of def- it's kind of defensible in that way because was the first thing i see when i saw that rickshaw driver is i think of tintin comics mm. growing up which of course then spielberg will lead to do a film yeah right of. and i was just like yeah this is this is what those comics look like this is what he's remembering mm-hmm. should he be remembering it that's a different question but if you know in terms of the film, la- the, the the cultural language he's pulling sure from, right yeah, that's the emphasis. Mm-hmm. Whether it's right or not is a different question. And also, you know, it 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 wants you. You know, we've had two Wilhelm screams in just over ten oh, minutes yeah, right. of the film. This film wants you to know it's a film. It's not making any bones about trying to represent the world as it is, at any point. Yeah, right. Um, and I think it. I think it announces that. S- uh, sufficiently mm-hmm. for you not to take offense at it. Okay. <laughs> I'm saying there's a person for whom Indian food is my favorite cuisine <laughs> in the entire world. and you know, I, So that's big of me to say that. <laughs> given what this movie did to the image of Indian food. You're giving yourself a little Buster Rhymes pat on the back there. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Oh, we haven't heard from him for a while, yeah, have we? yeah. He's always been there. <laughs> well, I mean, all of it uh, to me also just spells out a great deal of fun. I I love them falling into the car. I love the shooting, uh, despite the fact that it's prefaced with lots of screams and I cracked a nail. Her dropping the gun to me is very funny because it's going to play in later. 
And then you get, yeah, and then you get Dan Aykroyd. What's not to like? <laughs> <laughs> well, they, I mean, it's, it's, they're sort of established. The central trio establishes the three stooges. You've got three variations of slapstick going on. Mm-hmm. You've got Indy's sloppiness, Willie's gun fumbling and short runs too short to drive the car. It's yeah. Like, right. <laughs> just diff- different, different, uh, colors of physical comedy going mm-hmm. on in this car scene. But what I like about it, I mean, it's funny because as you describe it, it doesn't sound very deft, but I think it's shot and filmed in a deft way in which like, well, well, yes, Spielberg. I don't know if it's shot and filmed in a deft way. It's performed in a okay, deft yeah, way. Okay, but I think wrapped up in that is what Spielberg chose to chooses to show you, how he shows it to you, and also it's going at such a quick pace. Yeah. That I think that helps it a lot uh, in terms of, yeah, we're doing lots of silly stuff, but we're doing it all at once and quickly <laughs> right over each other. Like you, if you if you you don't have time to roll your eyes. <laughs> yeah. If it I, was that, something that I, bothered I, you. I, and I do in Last Crusade. And I think that's something I realized watching them back to back uh-huh. here is that is that the, the Last Crusade waits for you to react to the punchline. Mm hmm. And this movie never does that. It just it you just like you you like you have to accept that punchline either worked for you or you didn't. We're moving on to another one. <laughs> right? Yeah. And but something something that starts to happen at because this again it's hard to remember because this movie's been around for so long, but all we had before this movie was Raiders of the Lost Ark. This the this opening scene is so different from anything in Raiders. Yeah. Right. Like it, 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 it almost if if Indiana Jones weren't there and it didn't say Indiana Jones on the screen, you would almost think it was in a different franchise. movie because there's no cobwebs yet, there's no dust, there's no. Oh, and we're dirt. entirely. You're right. We're entirely urban as well. Right. That's another thing which uh, we we never we're never entirely urban in in Raiders at any point. Suburban is the closest we get. Mm-hmm. Um, but the um. This is where the slow release of the Indiana Jones convention starts to happen in the movie. <laughs> Not a moment too soon, right? The After a wholly original opening, we start to settle back into the formula. Here's strains of the indie theme. Mm-hmm. He's getting on a plane. We're going to have a map. <laughs> uh, we're going to assume we're going to have the laser line map yeah. coming up. Um, but yeah, and uh, yeah, Dan Aykroyd, again, feeding off the broadly overtly comedic tone of the film. It's the, They've got those back and forth cameos going from Blues Brothers in 1941. Right. This is another one of those. Um, it's interesting. Like, but you know what? Also, I like is that the the entire opening kind of cold scene is punctuated with another sloppy Indiana Jones moment. Because well, again, yeah, better be, better luck behind, next again. time, Lao Che, and he closes the door and it says Lao Che on it. You know he's fucked. It's like. Uh, <laughs> It's like a like they. I love that they styled that joke after like Looney Tunes. <laughs> That's how it would be done in a Bugs Bunny cartoon, right? Right. It's perfect. Um, but again, yeah, it's the hero who's behind the eight ball and the audience. Yeah. It's a totally different idea of a movie protagonists, and that's what makes Indiana Jones special, mm-hmm. especially at this time when we're used to slick, infallible heroes. Right. Um, and he's he's not he's not only fallible he has no idea he's, clueless. he's walking into a trap <laughs> yeah 
and it's you know it's like a like a if if this is the end of the you know if this is the point in the Bond film where we go into the title sequence yeah this would effectively be <laughs> ending with Bond plunging to his death sure which you know only happens in Die Another Day and Skyfall which uh, both of which are mistakes all right all right settle down. <laughs> Why don't we leave it there? We got through our, our opening scene and we'll take a break and come back. Yeah, he's, Indy's about to have a costume change, so it's the perfect time. For perfect time. We're about to meet Indiana Jones again. Yeah, he gets into his Indiana Old Jones. Old style costume. Indiana Jones. <laughs> he's, going to his, he's going to a Halloween party. <laughs> All right, everyone. Or, or a school. Or a school. <laughs> if you're Mike. Listen to, <laughs> listen to this great music and we'll be right back. I like to think I know something about beer, but nowadays even I get overwhelmed when confronted by the exhaustive selection of craft beers they have at bars, breweries, and even grocery stores. Back in the day you had one, maybe two craft beers to choose from, and if you were confused, you ordered a Guinness. But in beer stations like San Diego, the craft beer options lately are in double, sometimes even triple, digits. So what's a beer drinker to do? You need what I need, the Vegas Beer Guys. Your beer of choice should be a perfect blend of malt and hops. And so a live show about beer needs that same balance. And the Vegas Beer Guys matches beer expert Dan Aker with self-proclaimed beer novice Stephen J. Weiss. The results are eminently drinkable. They're on Facebook. They're on Instagram. They'll try new beers. They'll tell you about beers. Think of them as your beer sherpas guiding you up a foamy-headed mountain to reach the peak of your pint. God, I need a beer. And we're back. Tom and I are here discussing... Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, a movie we love way more than other people. What a great title as well. Right? Just hearing you say it now. Yeah. Because you're like, what is the Temple of Doom? And even though it is slightly disappointing what that turns out to be, uh, it's still <laughs> the promise of the title, of, like, like even when you know what the Temple of Doom is and it's just, you know, a slasher movie. Right. It's still tantalizing somehow. You know, I think the we talked in the ranking episode about uh, the the general consensus for this series, and this isn't uh, obviously a a lot of data, but I just happened to mention this to like a millennial I work with, and so he felt compelled to reel off his list, his ranking. Yeah, great. And the first thing he said was, well, at the bottom of the list, of course, it's not so good for you, uh, Kingdom of Crystal Skull. But then the yeah, next well, on his list was Temple of Doom, and his highest was Last Crusade, even above Raiders. Okay. I, you know, the the general feeling I think the public has for this film, A, is wrong, and B, I don't get. <laughs> I'm glad you're keeping an open mind. Um <laughs> I it suddenly some as you were talking something occurred to me that maybe part of that is that Last Crusade looks a lot more like the franchise movies that we've been used to 
since. Maybe. Like it feel like tonally, it's got a lot of the Marvel. I mean, it's the other way around. I think Marvel is feeding off movies like Last Crusade. Yeah, right. Like the mixture of the mixture of kind of comedy and self-referentiality and you that know. bright, saturated kind of picture picture <laughs> yeah. frame. So maybe you know, I, I, maybe it sort of feels like a more of a formative movie. I'll say this for both than it does for our generation. Temple of Doom and The Last Crusade, though, because they're both eighty movies. And in our Patreon, we talked about this with the first Halloween movie. These movies look like they could have been shot yesterday. Yeah, for the most part. I mean, it, yeah. there there are p- moments with effects where you notice the effects, mm-hmm. but. <laughs> For the for but you also you also know historically ILM was stretched very thin in those years. Yeah, that's so true. You're, you're you're very willing. You're willing to look past the odd sure. the odd uh, matte painting that doesn't match yeah. kind of thing, because you know this is the that's the reason that they couldn't do Final Frontier. <laughs> <laughs> but I you know I'll stick up for these movies in that way. I mean. Whatever Spielberg is doing, he's shooting these movies in a way in which they, they don't, they don't seem to have that '80s luster that most movies, or well, not most, but but a lot of movies from the '80s have, where you you look at it and immediately yeah. think that's an '80s movie. And I would say that is that is, and I think it's the same with Halloween. This is the this is the benefit of referring back to an age of Hollywood mm-hmm. that is kind of out of fashion at the time, but is going to come back into fashion because these movies are so good and people are going to be continually rediscovering them. And Spielberg, Carpenter, Lucas, they're of the generation that understands that the more, (laughs) the more you leech off this great timeless Hollywood storytelling, the less dated your movie movie ends up. Right. I think that's, that's crucial here. Yeah. Well, meanwhile, uh, the pilots are jumping out of the airplane, and our heroes are fucked. <laughs> I look, I love of all of all the specific Bond movies that they want to pull from. It's always fucking Moonraker <laughs> in this movie and the next movie. I'm like, why do you keep going back to the well of Moonraker? You have all these Bond movies to pick from, and I think you know, in in the end, it, I think it it comes back to the kind of the psychoanalytic explanation that. Spielberg really wanted to direct Moonraker, <laughs> and he's gonna do it whether, whether they, they whether like broccoli, it or not. Yeah, whether Broccoli lets him do it or not, yeah. because this scene is is the cold open of Moonraker right here. Mm-hmm. It, it's shot for shot, uh, or done obviously better because Moonraker's a <laughs> travesty. So mad, so mad at Moonraker. <laughs> but you know, the, oh, he gets into his Indiana Jones costume. She makes the joke about the lion tamer, yeah. which is. Is uh, hilarious until they rec- they call back to it in the next movie, um, yeah. And the hat, the the, the pulling the hat into sleep mm-hmm. mode, mode, right? <laughs> oh into yeah, into the indie theme fanfare and the laser line map. I mean, it's pulling on the strings of the original just when you need it to, mm-hmm. and then not lingering there longer than it needs to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And and that's where I see, and you know, especially in this first act, that this is the perfect template for a sequel. Yeah, right, right. At this point, at this point of the movie, it's pretty much it's not put a foot wrong. No, not not one foot wrong, and it's 
it's really hitting on all cylinders in terms of what you want in a sequel, I think. And it's it's just using the original as a skeleton, which is kind of what you want all sequels to do. Well, we've talked about it before. It's like, what do you want in a sequel? You want the same thing, but it has to be different. And that's what this movie's doing. Well, speaking of different, this is where I think I begin to realize how distinctive the scoring is in this movie mm. compared to for me other john williams scores but also just in terms of adding more to the treasure chest of indiana jones music because the you know we get the this is the overture of the love theme which is brand new yeah and it just shows that williams has still got musical tricks up his sleeve for the indie sequel and you'll come up with about four or five new themes in this one movie yeah right and this is the first of those and it just it like even i notice it (laughs) (laughs) and you know and i'll I'll do a i'll do in your words a reasonable facsimile of those yes right as we go as we go through the movie by all means but also i think you know it's funny because when you think about sequels or whatever movies in general and the lore that they they carry on in the years because some of some of the lines in this section are lines that are remembered hey lady you call him dr jones mm-hmm. that's an often you know repeated line and i love that yeah. she's calling i just like that she's calling him mister mister like they haven't even introduced hey, mr. themselves mister hey lady you call him dr jones my note here is three funny people doing good doing comedy. funny stuff exactly it's like you you can criticize the emphasis on comedy but you can't criticize the execution of it mm-hmm. each of these actors can can judge comedy really well i agree which is kind of remarkable when you think that none of them are known specifically for that mm-hmm. and that one of them is a child yes right <laughs> his comedic timing by the way is yeah impeccable i i agree it's astounding and, that such a young performer would be that good and as we go into the movie I, I i mean i think i think where the emotion lands in this movie it's all to do with short round mm-hmm. which is clearly what he's in the movie to do but it doesn't feel like tugging on your heart yeah right exactly although i'm lo- i'm losing perspective as a as a you know, as a new father i'm losing perspective <laughs> on that i welled up about five or six times in this movie and i don't know whether that's because because the character of short round is done well or whether i'm just susceptible to that kind of father son, like surrogate father son nonsense now i think it's because um, it's we'll done see. well I think so too. Because I have those not, moments too. I'm not objective anymore. I have those no moments too, and I am not a father. Nobody there you can go. stand okay, me. Well, you're my, <laughs> you're my control experiment, and you know, he just, he, the guy just won an Oscar, right? It, yeah. It, it, that didn't come from nowhere. Right. Yeah. Even though it, it felt like it did. Oh, and 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 you know, and as well, like the. And I'm giving the the, the com- at least at this point in the movie the comedy of the movie short shrift because this whole setup of do you know how to fly a plane oh, how do you so good that's what I was just but gonna again, say subverting the trope of the hero being suddenly able to do anything <laughs> right right James Bond never talks about about you know what vehicles he can can he and can cannot operate. but he can operate anything. 
but he could up, but, but given the opportunity, he could operate anything. Yeah. So this it just feels like a watershed moment in movie heroism. <laughs> uh, well, I like also him, from a from and a, he looks genuinely, he like genuinely. He's, the great thing is he's genuinely asking the question. He's not yes, kind of right. Not just he's that, not crystal skulling. But there's it. he's like there's he's, that slight pause. I love the slight yeah. pause between you know how to fly, don't you, and. The slight pause of what do I say in this moment? Can I tell a lie? No. <laughs> yeah. Do you? <laughs> There's nothing he can do. And if you didn't know that this the um the sound editor was Ben Burt, then the propellers sounding like the Millennium Falcon hyperdrive is gonna tip you <laughs> off at this point, I think. Oh my goodness. Well, and then I wanna talk about because this is a nineteen eighty four movie. Mm. You mentioned the behind-the-scenes stuff, so I started trying to watch some of that. But the one thing I've never seen... I, what am I doing? I have a computer in my pocket. I should just look it up. But No, well, not now. Not You're now. You're talking to me. But one of the most amazing things I ever have ever seen in any movie is the three jumping out of the plane on the yeah. raft. I still don't know. Yeah, yeah. I still don't know how it's done. It looks like three people jumping out of a plane in a raft. That initial drop looks amazing. Yeah. Um, and I think that's why you know the the as the sequence goes on, the seams start to show a little bit. Yes. Yeah. But there's so there's it's front loaded with enough practical work to pull through the sequence. Sure. Right. Again, they're still in that period where they're like, you know, if we if we dazzle you with enough practical effects you'll you forgive us this digi- you'll forgive us these kind of premature digital effects that we're trying yeah. out and, and when we only realize now that that's the way we want the balance to be regardless anyway of whether yeah you're right. do, yeah regardless <laughs> of whether you can do one or the other we don't care that's the balance <laughs> yeah I, I i mean i think it's uh i i think that's the reason that the sequence succeeds mm-hmm. Um, because not all the effects in it are successful, but that initial drop um, is great. Stunt, which again they learn from the Bond films, right? Yeah. It's like how do you how do you continue a franchise? You 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 have an amazing stunt in the middle of your movie, right? That's gonna wow everyone and make them forget about some of the shortcomings, <laughs> right? Of what you're doing. I'll forgive seeing the back screen or front screen projection that I'm gonna see yeah. in a moment because I have this great front stunt. Yeah. And I love that they have a great Three Stooges moment as they leap out of the plane as well with Short Round getting sandwiched in between the two of them. (laughs) And it's at this, I don't know, it's at this point of the movie that you clock, oh, they're a surrogate family. Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) And you're like, it's it's like, it's kind of, you know, it's sort of, it's kind of cute, but it's also weird because (laughs) they're like, they're clearly not a real family. Right. And in many ways, they couldn't give a shit about what happens to each other. (laughs) (laughs) Completely. But what I like about it is that the the dynamics aren't forced and they're real and they move. I mean, we're not there yet, but when we get to the palace eating scene, all of a sudden Short Round and Willie are co-conspirators. They're working together to try and get a decent bite of food, you know? And so, it starts out of this marriage of convenience yeah, and then right. they turn into a nuclear family as they go. Absolutely. Uh, 
and uh, you know, I think the the second act of the movie begins here. Yeah, makes absolutely. It a longer second act, but structurally, I think that's the case. Well, the uh, the um, second they wake up on the river and. Well, it's a, a new film is beginning. Someone is standing b- above them. We are this we are the starting the next of... part of the 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 second yeah. movie in this movie. Yeah, we've we've seen the end. You know, we've come into the movie theater towards the end of Indiana Jones and the Treasure of the Peacock's Eye, <laughs> and now we're in. Right, it's time <laughs> to, now we're in to go Jones to the, the Temple of, of Doom. Doom. Yeah, <laughs> and you're just like, oh, I can just sit, sit. You know, I can, I can sit here and just watch the next one. <laughs> And we're playing in a totally different sandbox, right? Cinematically, geographically, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Spielberg's pulling from his favorite director, David Lean. Lean, right. Kind of trying to make uh, Sri Lanka look like um, Lawrence of Arabia, which is um, where parts of it were filmed. Well, I, I think later in the movie, they're... Well, no, it's it's Crusade that they're leaning on that movie. In this movie, they're leaning on Bridge on a River Kwai. On the Bridge, River Kwai. Bridge on the River Kwai. Well, yeah, Bridge on the River Kwai. Yeah. There's also Passage to India as well. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly the racism is consonant with that movie. Sure. Um, so it's, yeah, it it, 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 the other thing that's interesting about it is I remember growing up in the 80s, this is exactly the image of India and pretty mm-hmm. much any, any country in the third world that we had from... Right these kind of celebrity charity charity yeah i was just gonna say yeah band-aid and it was the the idea that the third world was just wall-to-wall rural poverty Mm -hmm. so this totally fit with that idea when you first go into the village and like it 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 literally just followed on and eat the gruel like you didn't question it right um for a second and this, I, I, I guess this is where the mysticism of the movie, the kind of religious fantasy aspect starts to rear sure. its head. Because they, they're immediately worshipped as soon as they arrived in, in the village. They're worshipped. And that's the first sign of it in the film. We, we you know, we started in a in a city nightclub <laughs> right. over a, you know, a, a, a precious jewel dispute. <laughs> it, which is very real world. And now suddenly we're thrust into uh, um, a world of, of the ethereal right and the religious because not only are they going to be almost worshipped as deities but now we're we're going to start talking about the shankara stones yeah and we're also establishing the the gross out racist food comedy that that will kind of haunt the rest of the movie as well yeah this is the, the first their first sort of testing of the waters of can we make the 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 best food in the world seemed disgusting. <laughs> and of course, this is like, this is that sort of, um, this is where you start to see that diabetes of tone that I talked about. Yeah. Kind of ruin the head because Indy says, this is more food than these people eat in a week. They're starving. It's like, we've gone from overly funny to overly dark. Mm-hmm. And, and there's, we, it's just this polarity of excess right. that we can't, we have no center to. <laughs> it's like suddenly you're back in a, you know, like a, one of those appeal commercials. It's a little bipolar. Yeah. yeah. She, you know, you expect Indy to sort of say, you know, for, for $5 a month, you could feed one of these people. <laughs> but unfortunately, and, I'm going to eat it. Yeah, and Willie is the ultimate Karen in this scene. Yeah, sure. With her blonde perm, a trouser suit, and complaints to the management tinged with racism. Yeah. 
Oh, uh, and and in that white person Karen way that only a white person Karen can do, she says, "Oh well, I'm sorry. You can have it. Yeah. Oh, it's the worst, isn't you it? You can it's have like... your shitty food. Yeah, yeah. It's... <laughs> oh, God, I've forgotten about that. <laughs> and this is where you know, <laughs> this is where instead you know in the in the Bond film, this is where Bond would go and get his mission from M. Mm-hmm. And this is this is the scene where Indy goes and gets his quest against the powers of darkness. Yeah, right. He picks it up and uh, runs with it for the rest of the film. I think I might have made a mistake in our ranking episode because I I think on the IMDb notes I was you did talking about you put Dial of Destiny above Crystal Skull. Get the fuck out of here. I'll explain in <laughs> detail was, when we go into each episode why you're easy. wrong, and that then was, probably change my was, mind once I watch it again. I always feel but, like apologizing for how easy that was. <laughs> but uh, I thought I had read on the IMDb trivia notes that it was Amrish Puri who was being fed his lines and didn't speak English. But as I understand, I think it was the elder of this community. that they, He yeah. definitely had his lines read to him by Steven Spielberg. And I don't and, know that Amrish Puri did. And that works to the advantage of no, I don't. Th- I don't think I, I assumed you had other information, but I definitely knew that that this wise man character was yeah. uh, the shaman, uh, spoke English fanatically, and that really works to the advantages of the characterization. It does because, because of all the gesture, the the veil, and like the, the yeah, darkness. He has coming... to sort of yeah. He has to kind of mime a lot of his lines yeah. while he's saying them. But it works because he. Because he like, he can't put any meaning behind them because he doesn't know what he's saying. Right. It's almost like I, in terms of like behind the scenes footage that I will outtake, so that like all time outtake ambitions for me. Yeah. Would be to watch the entirety of Star Wars with hearing Peter Mayhew speaking <laughs> Chewbacca's lines, and I think it would be this scene with speed where you can hear Spielberg right. saying the lines before. That's great. It would only be better if it was Irving Kirshner. That's the only <laughs> other way that it would be perfect. <laughs> and this and some um and we didn't really talk we didn't talk at all about Lao Che. No, yeah, right. Who great performance though. In, arguably the best villain in the film. Yeah. Burned after 10 minutes, but he was the villain of the last movie. <laughs> The last Indiana Jones movie, but the one in between trend... Temple of Doom and Raiders. He he begins the trend in this movie where the 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 act the characters, sorry the actors who are English as a second language will end their lines by laughing. <laughs> yeah, and it, it I mean it starts with Lao Che and then the rest of the movie you can tell. For whom English is a second language, because they ever after every line they laugh, <laughs> and they laugh, and they laugh, um, which I, I think is great. It's a it's a nice little um, Easter egg. Mm-hmm. There's um there's an echo of Jaws here, isn't there? With uh, short round imitating Indian. I saw that. Yeah, I, I have that note. I noticed it. So he's an Indiana. You know, they essentially he's an Indiana Jones fanboy. <laughs> Which is something that Luke is a is a kind of game. But it goes back to the to the family idea as well. You know the idea because yeah. for Spielberg, he's, it's, yeah, it's he's a, copying a, his father figure. Yeah, in the way that um, what was the name of the boy? <laughs> you know, I can't remember anything about Jules. <laughs> 
I think it was Sean. Sean is imitating um, Brody. Yes, it's Brody. Okay, I'll go right. (laughs) That was a very Jiminy Glick, wasn't it? (laughs) So, yeah, and this is where we get, you know, Shorty gets worried and Indy says, it's a ghost story, don't don't worry about it. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But we, as the audience, know that they're not making it up because we've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark and we know that heaven and hell and the supernatural exist. Right. So, uh, I suppose the both the Hindu and Christian I guess, version of that exists simultaneously. Yeah, I don't know. I guess, I guess we we're giving Raiders <laughs> a little bit of shit here, saying that that character doesn't seem to know that there's that stuff, but he does say at the end, "Don't look at it, Marion." Maybe he did get some. Maybe he got some sort of knowledge that he was able to use. What did he think was coming out of the? Earth, I don't know. <laughs> Um, <laughs> there's a lot of dead Nazis around here. Yeah. I don't remember killing them. And yet, the sacred stones, the lightweight MacGuffins. Yeah, right. And then, you know, something very Spielbergian, which is children as a right. sentimental device. And the one child coming back. Yeah. This is the post-ET poltergeist sentimentalization melodramatization of children in his films sure and they're again they're really testing the waters of how far they can go with the darkness by having this still breathing child close to his death in his mother's arms right it's kind of funny like look looking back at it now i realize that just because of what the story tells me that that kid survived because he passes on information that he had, he, he, he could, <laughs> if he died there, he wouldn't have been able to pass on the information. But I was assumed as a kid that that kid just died. Yeah, no, that's what and, I always thought. And I, and I didn't question it. And that's not good. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> that this film sets me up to just, just go, well, he had his time. Tough loss. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, talk about getting, you know, like, like being, being like in, inured to violence. I mean, yeah, it's, right. It's, uh, I guess, I guess all those conservative Christians. But are right. something else I noticed in this movie, because you know that sort of thing will be compounded because next they're gonna get start riding elephants to get to the palace, and I never noticed before. Short round saying, "Hey, I'm gonna keep this elephant. I'm gonna put you in the circus." And I thought, oh, fuck, that was heartbreaking. (laughs) He's learning all the wrong lessons. I'm I'm glad that you thought that, uh, because I know you haven't listened to Indiana Jones Minute. They make the same points there, that that it's it's so tragic (laughs) that he says, you're my best friend. Yeah, (laughs) that's terrible. Like, his two best friends are an elephant and fucking Fred C. Dobbs. It's really <laughs> fucking bleak. Like, Short Round's future is bleak. I hope we never find out what happened to him. But speaking of Fred C. Dobbs, the reason I bring it up is he, he gets those... Uh, Humphrey Bogart's character in Treasure of the Sierra mm-hmm. Madre. He gets those Fred C. Dobbs eyes when he considers the, the prize, when he's looking at the Sanskrit mm-hmm. of the Shankara stones. Yeah, because there's a big and, kind of emphasis on this movie about... Fortune and glory. Yeah. And that's what Indiana Jones is about, apparently, in this film. Which is a bit of a retcon, but it's a retcon that I approve of. Yeah. Because he always had that fortune hunter quality, and this movie's going to put that to the test. Right, right. Quite literally by saying is, look, so here's your choice. Are you going to save some kids, 
Or are you? Yeah, right. Think, are you going to rest, like take this artifact? But in Raiders of the Lo- <laughs> in Raiders of the Lost Ark, he always had this sense, like he wanted to go after the Ark because it's an important artifact. But within that, <laughs> you know, there's something in it for me. I want. I I want to be the one to find it. I want that fortune. I do want that glory. Yeah, I, I, it was more glory than fortune, though. Yeah, I think it's a little bit of I, like this is not. I realize now, watch like watching this, probably the first Indiana Jones film I saw, so I have a skewed perspective. Mm-hmm. But thinking of it as the second movie in the series, I get the sense that that this is a little bit of a, a rewrite. Yeah, a rewrite I think of, so. Of, of what what we've seen, and that sort of lends the to the prequel idea, right? The sense that. He's like an unrefined diamond in the rough. Like he, like even by the time of Ra- time of Raiders, he's kind of uh, cast off a little bit of this um, this kind of gold prospector, yeah, paranoia that that uh, he potentially has in this movie. Mm-hmm. Okay, now where are you in your notes? I'm I'm basically at camp. Yeah, more or less. They get on the elephants as some good old-fashioned yeah. uh, animal comedy. Everything in the village looks brighter the next day. There's a bit more optimism yes. suddenly. Uh, we get a good lens flare over Indy's shoulder, uh-huh. which uh, looks cool when a competent director does it with a well-written character. I guess it was this elephant ride that fucked up uh, Harrison Ford's back, though. I, I, <laughs> this man, the number of physical ailments this man has had throughout the course of his life right i mean i guess that's what dial of destiny is referencing uh-huh his kind of harrison ford's broken body rather than indiana jones's <laughs> but yes i you were in the animal campfire scene so movies become jungle cruise <laughs> in the space of two scenes maybe this is me looking at it through my 12 year old kid eyes because it made me laugh so much then, and it still does. Everything oh, that's happening. Specific. Okay, okay. Well, so, see, I get that, and I don't really have a problem with it. But this is where I, I feel like the movie doesn't quite know what it has and is putting energy into the wrong areas. Mm. Like this poker game scene between. Short Round and Indy, the conversation that Indy has with Willie, that's enough. It's not only is it more than enough, <laughs> it it's it's stronger when it's not surrounded by animal humans. All the animals. <laughs> yeah. Like I feel like they feel like they have to went window dress the scene, but you you the core of the scene is so strong. Yeah. And you know, this was uh this was um uh K Hoi Kwan's uh, audition scene. It was, yeah. Because he, you know, he, he didn't... And it was when I think they decided the he's amazing, yeah. we have to have him. And that's, you know, the the characterization and backstory and everything that's done in that scene more than stands up on its own. Yeah. I don't and know, so I, you adult, know what part of it is? Tw- I know what you're saying about 12-year-old eyes, but with my adult eyes, I kind of, this is one of the scenes I wish they would have Edited themselves a little bit, yeah. More. Because not not because because it seems like they feel like they don't have enough in the scene to make it work, mm-hmm. 
And the opposite's true. That I, I'll, I'll agree with that. Much. Too much. I th- <laughs> too, much. too much fucking animals. Too much. Too many animals. Too much fucking animal. But part, I think part of what I always liked about it was the actual animals in it and the proximity to the actors and how... Kate Capshaw specifically. I mean, everything. I ex- always feel sorry. I always feel sorry for that monkey. That monkey looks genuinely. That baboon. That little that little monkey baboon. Fucking, is so close to her. <laughs> His eyes go wide, and he runs away. And the snake. They had a whole other snake thing planned that they had to cut. Cause she, just said, I, I literally, I can't classic, do it. Classic actor didn't read the stage directions. Yeah, didn't she read, read stage directions exactly. And so they agreed to that, but then he said, you have to do all the fucking bugs. She was like, okay. I didn't know there were yeah. bugs, but okay. <laughs> and then apparently she came back and she said, I'll do one snake. And that snake is just like, that's a huge snake right on her neck. And yeah. to, to me, the idea of grabbing it and throwing it, uh, I don't think PETA was probably too happy, for one, but also... Especially seeing what happens to the snake in the in future scenes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think it looks great, and uh, it's. Uh, this was all in, they needed, though. I think this this gag because because it calls it, back it, to Indy. Because it calls back to Raiders. It, it's just tighter. Like it, yeah. it just had that one punchline that simultaneously called back to Raiders and capped the scene really nicely. Right. I think just think all it right. would have worked much better the the film doesn't understand self-restraint and sometimes that uh that makes it a better movie and sometimes it makes it a worse movie and i think just in this in this moment it makes it uh, makes it somewhat worse it's just because i'm it's almost because i'm so invested and interested in what's happening on screen that i don't want the distractions i guess there are times where i can be won over by a simple line like the trouble with her is the noise this is great. That's good All the stuff. character stuff in this scene is is fantastic, and you, this is this is where you you know, and it's a great. It's also a great example of how to do character backstory because this is the only mm-hmm. time we learn about how Indian short round met met, and it, and you you buy it instantly. It makes total sense. But you also you also get some pertinent information about Willie. This idea about a guy who made a lot of children, you know, very happy, but died a poor man during the Civil War. And yeah, it sort of doesn't really work. But yeah, <laughs> but you get you. He was one of those Civil War magicians. <laughs> <laughs> but you get the sense of what drives her to be perhaps as shallow as she yeah. is. You know, that's why I think this scene deserved to breathe a little more. All right. It would be it'd, it'd be that's the thing I think I think scenes like what they do with the animals in the scenes is what you do when your movie's no good mm-hmm. when your actors are not great when they don't have chemistry when the dialogue's not interesting <laughs> and it's just not true and that's of not this true movie. of that movie of this yeah. movie and those actors in this moment you're okay all right it makes me laugh but. <laughs> But I, <laughs> I understood. Stop yourself from saying you're right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I wasn't gonna go that far because it still all makes me laugh. But I understand yeah. what you're saying. And comedy is subjective, right? Some yeah. some some uh, parts of it are gonna hit people differently, and that's fine. And it kind of goes from the Jack Hanna show 
to Cannibal Holocaust again very quickly. <laughs> that diabetes of tone is it's like it's like we're we're on elephants, we're throwing snakes around. Now there's we're fingers on statues. Baboons. It's like what the fuck? Don't come up going, here. There's a <laughs> there's awful on this altar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you think that don't come up here? Is I I have this theory about um, like horror films that are a little like where the directors and writers are kind of con- concerned that children are going to see it. I mean, they should be with this because children are going to see it. Right. But um, they work in these kind of like warnings into the film like itself. The, yeah. The, yeah, it's actually the, the the indie saying "Don't come up here" <laughs> instead of saying "Cover your kids' eyes." Yeah. Basically. Maybe. And it I might like, even be uh, an unconscious thing that Spielberg I think does. Probably an unconscious, yeah. yeah. So yeah, this all oh, I mean it it's it's incredibly sinister. Mm-hmm. And yet also very Raiders as well. Like it yeah, feels right. like we're we're in with Because it feels like the, the beginning of Raiders. It yeah. Something that would scare well, and it does. It scares the guides and they go back. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's very much Raiders, where the most of his team flees. And then we get to the castle. We get to the castle, punctuated constantly by our, giant vampire our bats. For, our home for the rest of the movie. Yeah. Not that we know it at this point. Right. I don't. Uh, I'm. I'm sure I had picked up on it before, but it was so funny to to meet Grady as the British officer, Grady from yeah. the Overlook Hotel. Absolutely, yeah, and and, and so great characters introduced in the scene. Chad Lyle as well. So good. Um, his uh, you know, he's this kind of swat. Like you know, we've established this racist caricature of India as just being <laughs> rural poverty, mm-hmm. and now we're kind of challenging it. He's the suave debunk of all of that, right? He's, I mean, <laughs> and it and it makes sense historically because you know he's Oxbridge educated, uh, so there's the kind of, um, you know, he's. He's a, a kind of imperial Indian character. Yeah. And all his tensions with the with the with the kind of British general. So great again, like I think these characters that are being introduced are great and I I just I'd love I'd love to have more of them and when they are on screen I'd love there to be more focus on them. Mm-hmm. Uh we get that one of the great stupid people ADR lines of <laughs> Shorty, where's my razor? Yeah. To explain why he has stubble in the next scene, <laughs> as as if this isn't the most handsome look a man has ever had. Like, why would he shave? Yeah, exactly. Even if he could, I mean that look. That look is the the um, stubble glasses, bow tie, <laughs> tweed suit. And again, another iconic look. Again, the most handsome Harrison Ford or possibly any actor has ever looked on screen. All right, so. And Chadalal looks great as well. He's wearing a Nuru jacket like Doctor No, <laughs> except he's allowed to because he's from India. Where everything, Nuru everything from. for you goes through James Bond. <laughs> no, everything in this movie goes through James Bond. It's like the kidney of this movie. Everything kind of. <laughs> and it's there's all this political history that kind of comes up at this point, right? The so yeah, I was gonna Indian say tensions. if you're not paying attention to this movie. You would think that thuggy culture 
somebody might mention it to you and you're like, what are you talking about? That's that has nothing yeah. to do with Temple of Doom. But there it is on screen. People, t- you know, characters talking about it. Yeah. And uh, more singing and dancing. Mm-hmm. We get to see some traditional Indian um, music. Willie, uh, <laughs> and again, we go back to the the idea articulated in the opening scene that Willie is a gold digger. Yeah. You know. She's, she's way she's into just... little Maharaja. Until she, exactly. Until she sees how little little Maharaja is. And this is yet another reveal where we expect we're going to see an adult and we see a child instead. Mm-hmm. Which, again, sort of like the language of sequels is building here. Right, like right. T- <laughs> every time we think we're going to get an adult character, a child is going to come out. But it's funny, too, because you, you won't... Admiral Baby. I mean, short round, later in this movie, he's going to become full Jackie Chan. But it's... Sure. You know, it's set up here with with little Maharaja, what we're going to get at the end, which is the, the dual fight. Yes. And so Short Round gets to fight right alongside with Indiana Jones. Mm, and That's right. You know, that's, I think that's smart sequel writing. If you're going to add one kid, give that kid his own villain to dispatch. Give, give that kid his own kid. Yeah, exactly. Can I get a duck? You already have a monkey. <laughs> Can he get a duck? <laughs> I guarantee Ben Burt pulled this music that's played over dinner from a, a, a tape from a London Indian restaurant when he was working at L Street. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it's... I guess... I guess we've got to talk about Snake Surprise. I guess. I mean, um, it is what it is. They were just going for gross out. But that, they so didn't that's realize where, that's where I defended what yeah, it was they so, were actually doing. Well, they did. They did. But so the, the yeah, obviously the intent here is gross out schlocky body horror comedy. Yeah. Doing it with Indian food gives it a racist connotation. Right. Both of which kind of fit the extreme excess of the, of the movie. movie itself. But it's again, it's working at that level of stereotype that doesn't even make sense, and then you begin, you you go back around again and question whether it's racist. Mm-hmm. We've talked about this again, like yeah. non non specific racist stereotypes, because the two two things about Indian cuisine worth knowing: it's overcooked, not undercooked, yeah. and it rarely contains meat. <laughs> so, whose idea of Indian cuisine this is? I don't know. I don't, right. And you know what? In the original script, this was supposed to be a smoking gun. Oh but yeah, something sinister That's was something going cra- on. Yeah, in- Indy, Indy was supposed was to supposed- pick up on it. Indy was supposed to turn to Philip Stone, and I believe the line was, "What uh, self-respecting Hindu would serve meat at his table?" Mm. So maybe they started with that intent, but they 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 did not follow through on. No, it. not at this all. This is just. This is just played played up for so, uh, and it's funny because the one pantomime value <laughs> in a thing in, in a list of foods that all go too far. The one the one I always end up taking the most exception to is the soup, because those are human eyeballs in that soup. <laughs> it's like so so now they're not just weirdos now they're murderers who are feeding they're cannibals who are feeding you eyeballs. That's now. Jeff from accounting. <laughs> 
<laughs> it w- oh, it would have been so great if that guy they were strapping to the gurney, <laughs> like, was eyeless. Right. And, and the short round was like, hey, hey that must that's I- where I- those eyeballs came from. <laughs> At least we know where those eyeballs came from. Um, oh, shit. Yeah, it's, so it's, you know, it, it, you're right. It is It is what it is, and it's, it's both racist and not simultaneously. Yeah, I yeah. Think. Because I don't think the intent is to be racist, but the the byproduct is. Sure. But in another sense, it's nice to see, again, Steven Spielberg going for something really schlocky. As sh- I was just going to say, as schlocky as it is, because he's so much more about... comfortable with that than I think he realizes. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And for whatever reason, he thinks this is the, this is the platform for that side of right, him to emerge. Right, right, right. I guess it's the kid inside him, right? Yeah, it's like, totally. No, mate, like, no, mate, I want it to be, don't want them to, you know, they pick out the bugs. He really then... does just want it to be gross. Yeah, it's a desire to be yucky. But there's, you know, there's lots of blind spots in this movie, and that's where I could see <laughs> people not forgiving it. And this is yeah. one of those moments. And I noticed one right after it, because when they're when they're going to bed... Indiana says to Short Round, you know, I think I'm going to check on Willie. And Short Round's got this look on his face like, yeah, you're going to fuck her, right? That's that's what you're doing now, Indy. It's weird and inappropriate. And it's like all the lessons that Short Round is learning from Indiana Jones throughout this movie. Uh, but it's not even as subtle. It's not even as subtle as you just put it, because he says, "You tell me about it." Afterwards. Yeah, exactly. That's there's what I was just no room say. for. There's no room for ambiguity no. there. <laughs> that's not innuendo, right? <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, and again, just it's another example, like the campfire scene of. We've got action at both sides of the table and there's one that I, I really want them to focus on and one I want them to focus on less or not even be there mm-hmm. like the conversation they're having again it's like great characterization or the backstory about yeah right Indy being considered a grave robber the Anglo-Indian tensions which are going to come to fruition at the end of the movie mm-hmm. like you said they're setting up lots they're setting up the second half of the sure. movie in lots of ways interesting ways I love seeing Indy have to kind of defend himself. I also something I love as well is that the villains are always morally superior to Indy mm-hmm. <laughs> in all of the films. Like nobody, like no, he gets the moral drop on nobody <laughs> in this series. And I just, I like Chad Alal is just sort of like, as sort of like you're later on Malaram. Puts the knife in where he says, thieves like you. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, uh, bang to rights, Your Honor. Well, now that you mention it, yes. But <laughs> my heart is pure. <laughs> so, but then, yeah, we go straight into we go straight into the, the bedroom shenanigans. The and... bedroom shenanigans. The moment they kiss, you notice the swell of music that makes it sound, you know, very, gives it that serial quality. Well, after... After the weird and inappropriate scene was short round, the way that Willie eats that apple, we know we're going to be stuck in a sex comedy for the next few minutes. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and they're going for that. So the soft focus comes again. Yeah, another, soft focus. Like, you're right. We, we keep talking. We're like, it's like, when did they, when did Hollywood movies stop using soft focus? We're <laughs> in 84 now. Yeah. I've been rewatching 
Moonlighting on Hulu. I noticed that. And there's a ton of soft focus on Civil <laughs> Shepherd. And l- let me just say, there's one person who does not need soft focus. It's Civil Shepherd. Shepherd. Yeah. In 1986. Okay. <laughs> So clearly, it is still a, like a reigning con, but he's obviously going for the old Hollywood yeah, look, right? And they're having the that kind of big sleep innuendo, nocturnal activities. Mm-hmm. It's like the saddle conversation in the big sleep. I love that they're having this kind of contest between each other to see who can be more shallow. Kind, it's 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 like who can out eighties the other. Yes, exactly. <laughs> And Molaram wins. Right, um, right. <laughs> but, yeah, what do you think of... Uh, this is interesting. What do you think of this this real-time set piece in the middle of all this? I always thought this was kind of shaky conceptual ground. Like, not really sure what's supposed to happen in five minutes or why it's five minutes or... I, and then they lose. Then they lose interest in it midway through. Well, it doesn't matter because you... a fight's going to start anyway, but... <laughs> But then why have a real time set up if you're not going to go to the end of the five minutes? Right, yeah. I, I To me, it was always... Um, I think they think that the jokes are funnier than maybe they are. This idea of yeah. them repeating the lines that we just heard, uh, that they had said to each other. Tell you what's good about it, though. But it also... I think it also... what What I think is good about it is it illustrates how alike they are in their shallowness and mm. that, uh, you know, everybody thinks of Kate Capshaw and Willie Scott as the, the least of the heroines for Indiana Jones. But in this movie, uh, she's the right fit. <laughs> she matches yeah, Indiana Jones in this movie, I think. Yes, absolutely. It's, you get, you get an inver- a very clear inversion of Mar- yes, Marion, which right. is exactly what, what they should have done and you also but like marion like the way that marion and indy parallel each other willie and indy parallel each other Mm -hmm. so in a sense it's like this is a different color on indy yeah right the sort of because they're both gold diggers yeah (laughs) (laughs) and it's kind of like again we're 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 sort of in we're developing that idea that this is like a an uncut Indiana Jones. Well, and I guess what I take exception to more than anything is how much shit Kate Capshaw got for this movie. Absolutely. Now, part of it, you you can tell me that the character is shallow and that the character is less than other heroines, but you can't tell me the performance is. No, it's not. And, and that's what I take exception I don't, to. I don't they think it's equate either. the character to yeah. the performance. It seems to me, and that's unfair. She it's is so sexist. winning in this role, I think. It's just sexist double standards because all everything that yeah. people point out about her characterization kind of makes her a flawed character, which mm-hmm. is what Marion was. It's what every character, whether yeah. they're protagonists or villains in Indiana Jones movies are. They always have that shade on them. Yeah. And this is just a this different This is just a different shade, yeah. And as you say, you know, you can apply everything you apply to her to Indy. Yeah. To Indy's characterization. But we don't mind because he's a man and, mm-hmm. you know, he's our hero. So. And she's really funny. It, when he puts his hands. very funny. When he puts his hands on the boobs of that statue and she says, hey, I'm right here. I mean, that's, that's you know, <laughs> to- again, 
we've gone from air, air punching the cigarette girl is airplane. Right. This is naked gun. Yeah, exactly. Point, right? This is an actual naked gun bit that they're doing. <laughs> but the film doesn't care. No. You know, I feel like in some respects, even I know it was a few years earlier, but I feel like Spielberg is flexing whatever muscles he flexed on 1941 in this movie. Mm. This idea of like anarchic balls to the wall comedy. Yeah, right. Because he's doing jokes from... even in the middle of the fight. Yeah, this is, this is well. That was what I was going to say. I like about the sequence is that I'm not sure they think of it as a fake out, but I do. Mm -hmm. I like that you think you're going into a kind of romantic comedy scene, and then midway through, right. yeah, <laughs> it it becomes a very disturbing, violent sequence sure. out of nowhere. Uh, I love the coming out of the painting. That's, that's great, like, isn't it? Yeah, movie magic mm -hmm. is. I mean, that's again another optical illusion. The series does that so well, right. and then the hanging on the uh, fan it's heavy, gruesome. Yeah, it's so gruesome. I mean, I like that. That I mean, that's good horror movie making because you're not you're not expecting something that violent and disturbing to happen in the middle of this scene. Well, and also so. we see it through short rounds eyes. <laughs> Or, or what he imagines is happening while his eyes are closed. Yes, yes. exactly. Yes, more more to the point. Well, I tell you what, we're about to get to bugs and uh, a, a delightful set piece. So why don't we take another break? Yeah, and I just want uh, just want to say one thing. Of course you do. That you're gonna like it because <laughs> it, it it goes to your argument about Dial of Destiny. Okay. Like one of the, one of one of the times I feel like I should give Dial of Destiny a break. Mm -hmm is in criticizing the number of back-to-back -back set pieces there are in there because Temple of Doom is the same. Yeah. So it's a matter of degree, not kind, I think. All right. Well, we'll get to it. And we'll get to this right after this. <laughs> Does the coronavirus have you feeling oogie? Have you been sitting on your couch for weeks? Nay, have you been sitting on there for months? Well, it's time for you to get back in shape. Check out To A T Fitness. You can find them on Instagram. You can find them on Facebook. To A T Fitness was started by Tina Bernard. She is ready and raring to go to help you get back into the shape you want to get into. They've got all kinds of classes. They've got outdoor in-person classes. They've got online classes if that's what you prefer. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get back in shape. You're going to find a variety of exercises. You're going to have strength training, cardio, weightlifting, even fun five-minute burnouts that will push you to your limits. So get off the couch, get into shape. Go ahead and check out Tua T Fitness. Tina Bernard has got you for all your needs. I know her personally. She's fantastic. You're not going to meet a better person to help you become the new you. Check it out. Here we are, back once again, possibly ending up. We're finishing <laughs> up with Indiana Jones and the Temple you know of Doom. Our record, you know our record on Lucasfilm Productions. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, as we were going out, Tom, we were talking about uh, getting into the bugs and into the chamber. Yeah, this this secret passage, which feels the most like original recipe indie so far. Yeah. But doesn't quite live up to that, 
I think. It's sort of like, uh, it's just like original recipe by an untalented chef at times. <laughs> I do like him looking around the room looking for the secret passage or looking for a, a foe first. Yeah, that... And then finding the secret passage and, and the whole bit about... <laughs> I love how disinterested he is in sex in this moment. That's what makes it funny to yeah. me. Because there's a moment he has where he looks directly at her when she's saying, right here, I'm right here. But and he kind of shakes I, his head and starts looking around again. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't buy it comedically, so it falls a little bit flat for me. Oh, man. Scene. I know. You're wrong. We'll just leave it there. This is not my favorite part of the movie by any stretch, though. You don't like the, the, the whole bit? Um, hit and miss. Like, I, I think we're, we're getting into the part of the movie that actually this, you know, the Chamber of Spikes is pretty unassailable. Okay. But after that, we get into the part of the movie where I'm like, I'm like, I like this for what it is. I just don't really know why it's happening now here in this movie. <laughs> what, what do you mean? We got to, we got to get, you to... know, the whole Temple of Doom. <laughs> we got to get to the yeah, Temple we'll... of Doom, sir. Yeah, when we get in the Temple of Doom, we never get out of it. <laughs> well, sure Which I we guess do. is the point. This is what I mean. We briefly get out of it. We're basically there for the rest of the movie. Anyway, we've still got creepy crawlies to talk about. Yeah. Or fortune cookies. Yes, right. Which uh, is su such a white person's view of Asian culture <laughs> that fortune cookies hadn't even been invented in 1935. <laughs> They're not authentically Chinese. <laughs> <laughs> nor had they been invented there's a lot wrong with that line yeah that's cultural appropriation on so many levels uh. um yeah the creepy crawlies are great it's again invert up the ante on the snake pit mm -hmm. i'm into it it's fun to like when you watch the behind the scenes stuff and they're talking about all the bugs and producers and stuff are having these big bugs put on them and of course they're harmless but yeah it's it's funny you could see you see somebody just sitting there relaxed with the you even see kate capshaw eventually kind of just sitting there having lots of big bugs placed on her robe and she looks you know pretty trauma pretty calm She's in shock, She's in shock Mike. <laughs> but it looks great on film you know everything Did you, you know Oh, yeah. Do you see that moment in the making of where, because the, um, they're directed by Frank Marshall, so he was just taking a camera on set, capturing, capturing mm -hmm. Steven Spielberg directing Kate Capshaw in the scene. And just as the scene begins, you can hear her go, Stephen, please, I don't want that on me. <laughs> I do remember and her like, talking about... Like, now, great, now use it. Yeah. <laughs> I do remember her talking about, uh, I think that's when she took a pill. And she just came yeah. to set and was like, hi, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, one of the things I love about this particular scene, once they get into that chamber, Indian short round. Oh, yeah. The dynamic between an adult oh, and a child. My... <laughs> How can you read my notes from where you oh, are? Oh, my God. <laughs> everything the about it dynamic yeah right which is the next two movies uh-huh but it begins here with right like, you know he's not biologically related they're not biologically related to each other but it's the same dynamic sure it's like you know that it's the some a really nice touch which shows that spielberg is is a parent i think 
is the moment that uh, after Shorty <laughs> Shorty he says go stand against the yeah. wall and then Shorty presses the button He's, and he you told and me says, you said stand against the wall <laughs> and that is that that little detail of the kid throwing yes. back the failed instructions of you the told me this, I did, I did yeah. exactly what you told me <laughs> to do yes love it and that's sort of like you know you, you, you the and I, I've been there as a father where you're just like you know kids spill something and you're just like oh yeah and then you know and like when you look back at it you're sort of like well it was just an accident I really shouldn't have reacted yeah. But, the Indian, the scene is all like, look, just, just go, you know, just go because, over there. That's the point. Make it, right. makes it worse. That's one of the makes parts that I love the most is because it's such an honest moment from Harrison Ford as an adult where he goes, just, and he's laughing. He's actually chuckling as he says, just stand against the wall. I mean, he's literally saying, fuck off out of the way and give me a moment. And, and Spielberg, you know, I, I give him a lot of shit, but Spielberg's really good at that kind of. It's not dysfunctional families. It's kind of just. It's 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 loving families that that have difficulties. Yeah, I think it's just honest. It's but it's you know it's that kind of you know Richard Dreyfus in Close Encounters and the way he deals with his family. Right. It's 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 on you know it's an acknowledgement that. You can love the people in your family, but you you all have a difficulty dealing with each other. Sure. I mean, I guess the way that film ends up doesn't really support my argument at that. all. But I'd rather go up into space than deal with you fuckers. <laughs> <laughs> and they just let him go. Yeah, just off. Uh, <laughs> well, that's what Daddy felt he had to do. <laughs> <laughs> and the Chamber but of Spikes is great. The Chamber of Spikes. Like the... I was going to say. I mean, the editing, the directing, the acting, the ra- it, everything you know, is working together in one cohesive way. And Spielberg himself talks about in those behind the scenes making ofs of that's when he thinks Hollywood is doing its best work when everything gels together, everybody doing their job. Great. And it's that, you know, it's the, um, it's this franchise's variation on the trash compactor. Yeah. Right. Which itself feels like, it feels like both of them have a common source of a thirties matinee series. Mm -hmm. I bet you find this scene in so many of those. Sure. Without doing the research, I kind of get the sense that if it turns up in both Star Wars and here, it was, <laughs> it's, yeah, it was, for sure. It was a trope of a matinee serial at some point. Well, and you know, this is another one of the distinctive themes that uh, John Williams has. The da 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 because mm-hmm. when they when they, when they set the when they set spikes it again the motion, again yes <laughs> the music the music kicks up again it's amazing just to sort of just the music actually the becomes a joke which I love it does yeah yeah, yeah. it's very witty isn't it it's mm-hmm. a witty use of that of that music and then all of Ford's physical comedy with the hat everything with he's doing and actually there it's so funny that you can. Uh, that Spielberg's able to build tension mm. just through the difference, uh, I guess, of gender 
as Willie slowly coming through the chamber and not wanting to deal with bugs and not wanting to put her hand in. And they are, you know, if you don't do it quick, we are going to die. And the frustration, the physical comedy of hands from Harrison Ford. Jackie Gleason straight to the moon. Absolutely. (laughs) One of these days, Alice, one of these days. Touch with bugs. And when he, he actually gets a point in. Even the detail. You're right. Your uh, other right. Your, the, the other right. Even that sort of detail is like it, it feels like they're drawing on thousands of like conversations that they've had with family members in cars, right? About the directions to something. You know, it's 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 drawing on all all of that. This is where it feels more like a divorce film. Yeah, <laughs> right, it's this, right. It's just like you know the the struggle. It's a Kramer versus Kramer kind of thing going except on they have to learn to to to, to work together you know yeah. it's it's that kind but they of don't movie. have to like it yeah i mean the look on harrison ford's face when when <laughs> you you know it's like another when movie she would, passes would, through the door you mean that look a, another yeah another movie would have them hug yeah or right like, that'd be a moment of understanding between he's yes. just still furious he's so pissed that it even got that close yeah which is again anti Bond, right? It's sort of yeah, like you right. saved at the last second, but you're not happy about it. Well, and we also have we have a I think you know we have a shade of Raiders of the Lost Ark when it starts back over and they have to get under that door. Mm-hmm. Except except for uh, he's not grabbing for his whip. It's it's the hat. It's the most important thing. I think this is the where the hat takes over in the franchise. Yeah, okay? totally. I feel like I feel like in Raiders, at some point he could have lost the hat. And I would have been fine with it. Mm-hmm. And he would never wear a hat again. Again, and you'd be get, okay. You know, we'd be, and we go, go. But I feel like if this scene wasn't in the movie, if we didn't do another hat uh, pull again, you know, the next sure. movie is very hat centric. Hat heavy. Hat heavy. <laughs> <laughs> it's a heavy hatted movie. Yeah. And I feel like this is this is kind of laying the groundwork for that. It's like it's kind of like this movie has a decision to make. Are we gonna run with the hat or is the hat just gonna be a prop? And I they, think they'd you know, already it, made that decision even before that, but I get what you're saying about on film this is It wasn't where in it, the tagline though. The, right. It's only the next movie The Man that, with the Hat. The Man in the Hat is back. Yeah. What do you think of this map painting? Love it. <laughs> so I think it doesn't even like, look as good as other map paintings, and I still really love it. It really doesn't. <laughs> I still love it. When I when I use the word cheap, yes, I don't mean that it's cheaply done. I mean that it looks cheap. Yes, like it, it, it reads cheapness. Yeah. Like a bad B movie. I don't care that, but I think it. No. I think it. I think it works for. This particular sure. movie. What situation the, they're going into. The situation they're going the pe- into, the, the serial nature of this story and these movies. Yeah. I think, d- despite the fact that it's not working, it's still working. I tell you what doesn't look cheap. That the set. The Temple of Doom. The Temple of Doom set. Walk in the first time. It's the, That's one of my scale. notes. I wrote down that the everything about this set, the scale of it, the... the uh, the intricacies, like the little touches they put in, everything about it is good. And they stage it. Except that one rock that they use for pole vaulting. <laughs> I, for some reason, I don't, I don't have any rationale behind this, but I feel like only you would pick out that detail. <laughs> 
I just, the other thing that struck me this time and never thought about before is the kind of play-like staging. Yeah, right. That's what helps create the incredibly sinister vibe. The it feels like, well, this whole thing. I mean, it. We've only been playing with the idea of a horror film so right. far. Right now, we're fully embracing there. it. We feel like we're the, in the slow of walk that we have from Mola Ram up to the victim. I feel like any other yes. director would have been would not have been as patient as Steven Spielberg is, for because mm-hmm. you see the the bald head approaching before you. He gets close enough mm-hmm. for us to get his eyes. Yeah. And yeah. it shows it shows me one, the actor, and then B, the director, working at a level together where you can build the dread within the hearts, minds, and souls of your audience, like you would in a horror movie. Agreed. Yeah. I mean the chanting, sacrificial mm-hmm. coal fire, blood and heart ceremony. I mean, we're in a diabetic coma right now. <laughs> right. We're in, we're like we're pure. We need some dark chocolate to get us out of this puke state, because it's uh, yeah. I mean, it's again up to the previous film and the film up to this point feel like adventures. This feels like a torture yeah. scene. It, it is. is. It, feels like a torture. it is a fucking torture scene. What am I? Why am I? Am I tiptoeing around it? And you know, body horror is the kind of central focus of the yeah. scene. We're introducing a new villain, as you said, with Molaram. Now, uh, see, I've had two already. We don't know one of them is a villain yet. But, mm-hmm. but we've... I think we uh, could guess, but <laughs> but it's very clear that Molaram is our final boss. And I love him, right? I mean, you say that he seems like a step down, but everything about him and his performance, <laughs> you know. I really love. I just, I think he's great. I don't think Molaram would be out of place in. Our proposed eighty sitcom. That's so. <laughs> That's why he works. Let me put it this way: so, that, you know, it's like, is is Belloc a better villain? Yeah, but yes, he is. <laughs> and but, yes, <laughs> but he's he's not a he's not a good enough villain for them to have made a video game on Atari. Only Molaram can go to Atari. That's an interesting. That's an interesting color you put on the wood. Good. <laughs> I feel like we should check some of those assumptions before. <laughs> I love everything about him. There's another movie here where Molaram is Chadalau, and I'm interested in what that movie mm. might have been. Because this, when you. When you when you pitch your tent to Molaram, you're gonna take the film in a Scooby Doo direction. <laughs> if you did, if you had Chad Alal be turn out to be Molaram, I feel like you you get more. I think it would would work with the horror of it, the idea of this dual personality, yeah. and I think you could cut out the middleman and it would be a lot scarier. Hmm. I think Chad Alal could have been probably the best villain in Indiana Jones if they'd have if they'd have figured out how to if they didn't they didn't feel like they needed this front yeah. man, I guess. The performance so, is so we, good though. <laughs> oh, I have no issues with let's listen, I, I enjoy it on a superficial level. Like I enjoy pretty much everything in yeah. this film. And he's gen- definitely very scary. Mm-hmm. 
um, in a theatrical yeah. way. But I don't know. I feel I feel like this movie throws a throws a you know a handful of good villains at you, <laughs> and it's just not my favorite okay. of those necessarily. All right. Let's talk about a heart being ripped from. Yeah, that spot. let's do that. Because <laughs> I feel like it warrants a conversation. <laughs> but it's interesting because you will have seen this scene more times than I have. Mm-hmm. For a very specific reason, which is that... Uh, You're about to call me old? The <laughs> No, it's not one of those okay. times. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> that does add to what I'm about to say. Um, no, it's because it's because we're from different countries. Mm. So this... Uh, it the, was different the, for you? The Well, the actual visualization of the heart being ripped out and the uh, chest closing was cut from ah. uh, was banned in in the British version of the film all throughout my childhood. <laughs> so every time I would see it on VHS, even on like the VHS, wow, you know, um, it was completely gone. Like it the, didn't the exist. The British, uh, yeah, the British, um, the BBFC uh, kind of censor board that just took it out of any. I blame Thatcher. <laughs> um. So the only yeah so, I don't know. Sometime in the so yeah I mean when did you see it? Ten years. Really? I mean whenever I came whenever I came over here wow. because it wasn't. And what to me. what was your thought the first moment you saw it? Well, I well it's interesting because I grew up thinking Spielberg specifically cut away from mm-hmm. that. But did you see the heart? Did you see life. him holding the heart and it catching fire? You, you kind of see him reach, and then, yes, you see the heart going on okay. fire. But everything between that was gone. Interesting. So I thought it was a directorial choice, and and that it, because it was a movie aimed partially at children, mm-hmm. that they didn't go. And so to learn that <laughs> they, that it, it was kind of full frontal <laughs> heart-ripping action. Yeah all along that had been taken out it definitely changed my perception of and and maybe i was you know maybe i was in the camp that thought you know is it really that horrific Mm -hmm. that's you know it's a lot is made of that section of the movie is really horrific but it's inarguable after learning that (laughs) that that was visualized yeah right that it wasn't just a cutaway no and it's the whole reason we have pg-13 which is and it you makes know, it, that that was that was per a conversation between Spielberg and whoever was the head of the MPAA then said, Does, "Isn't there something we can do between PG and R?" Because <laughs> I've got this one Cause I, scene I really don't want to take well, out. Of the it movie. was it was after this came out. He said, "Look, I might have done you dirty, and thanks for the PG, but why don't you give us something in between?" Does I mean does it? And this is the other sense where I feel like I'm coming to this. Not as a lifelong viewer, but just as someone who's only seen this a handful of times. But mm-hmm. does it make you flinch? Because it really makes me flinch. When the heart... It doesn't. No? When no. the heart seals up? I, I feel always... that inside me. Oh, I feel it, but I also... I just like, oh, it makes my body kind of like... Well, I guess that was the point. It makes you feel like your heart's been taken out of your body. Yeah, what I like... I think that there's... There's so much you could talk about within that scene, 
because the animation of it, of the chest coming back together, to me, uh, is one of the things, visual effects wise, that looks superior to other things in this movie. Yeah. Like, say, the raft going off the cliff into the water, like against a matte painting. Yep, no argument here. That You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. But what I also like about it is the performance of the actor who looks down and can't really fathom what the hell is going on right now. Why am I still alive? <laughs> and so I I, I kind of, even and as a also, kid... Also the questions of who is that guy, what role does he play in this Doesn't matter. None of that matters. Did he, he is... talk too much like Willie? Is that why? <laughs> Whether whether he was uh, a volunteer or a forced to volunteer, yeah. You know, even as a kid, and I would have been twelve when this movie came out. It what it wasn't a bridge too far for me. It didn't uh, make me extremely scared. It didn't like I you know I was enthralled by it in a whoa kind of way. Interesting. Yeah. It ch- I mean, it chills me to the bone, but again, I don't know if my perspective is skewed by it being relatively new to me. Mm-hmm. Being only used to the censored part of the, the scene. Yeah. And I guess I suppose that, I suppose once you get to the heart going on fire, heart's on fire. <laughs> and Mola Ram, you know, does the ESL the laugh. laughing. Yeah. <laughs> that it's like, you, you, you're sort of like, okay, so now we're in Scooby-Doo. Um, but I think we that, always also kind of focused on what happens afterwards too. Or there's a, great character, there's a great character moment here for Willie mm-hmm. because you you when when she's uh, covered in the bugs, you just you know as the viewer you're like, come on, get over it, right? And when she, you see her like reacting to <laughs> to what's happening, and suddenly you're like, well, you know, I now I feel for you. She has to turn away, and that's, you know, almost hyperventilating. Even even Indy's like, yeah, this is, you know. This is a bit much. See, Willie, this this is what you should be scared of. Yeah. This is the level you should be pitching it at. Mm Mm-hmm. You think this was what J.J. Abrams was going for with the Sith planet in Rise of Skywalker? (laughs) Calm down, would you please? Beige version of this. Um, Take your agenda somewhere else. Also, you're probably right. But then, of course, (laughs) doing like the end of the commercial voice there. And then, and then Willie goes back into gold digger mode, which is diamonds. Diamonds. It's like they're willing to throw away the horror they've established for the cheapest possible gag. (laughs) But I like, uh, you know, so they they. They burn him up, and also uh, reality is is uh, not afforded this man. Well, no, reality rears its ugly head against this man that it doesn't against Willie because he catches on fire even before he gets into the lava, which is what would happen. Sure. But uh, well, th- th- that's one of those previously advertised cliffhanger moments that. Yeah, right. Has no idea how to cheat his way out of. Yes, exactly. And and like and he doesn't have a week to figure a week between episodes to figure it out. To figure it out, right? But uh, 
great I, dialogue in this scene as well. The yeah, I feel like this this scene about you're gonna gonna die going after your fortune and glory, maybe mm-hmm. but not today. I feel like that's that's an exchange that they keep trying to recreate in the next couple of movies, and they never get it. As they never as get as. to this. Yeah, it's never as good as that is. But uh, I was speaking in the uh, ranking episode about uh, how this movie references the movie that preceded it. Yeah. And this is one of my favorite moments when he goes down and he gets the, the, the Shankar stones. And he, you know, first you have that kind of character moment of, oh, this is my fortune and glory. And it's like glowing on his face. And when he puts them away and he gets up and that cobra yeah. is staring at him, that statue cobra, and he tips his hat to it. And, and is, then... is that cobra supposed to be mechanical? Because it moves. Oh, I don't. I didn't notice it moving. And I always wondered whether it was an alarm snake. <laughs> oh, interesting. Mm. High tech in the also Temple of a, Doom. And sparing use of the bullwhip, right? Yeah, right. He never uses it more than three times a movie. Mm-hmm. This is the second time we've seen it in action. It's not quite a weapon. It's not quite a prop. <laughs> right. Which is uh, is great. <laughs> the, although... It is it like as much as much as you know. I buy into this morally ambivalent version of Indiana Jones. It is a little hard to take that he just forgot about the kids <laughs> because he hears them. He hears them screaming, and he's yeah. like, "Oh yeah, oh yeah, I was here kids. to save the kids." <laughs> I mean, that's a sociopath. That's not an antihero. That's full right. on psycho. Not just not just that, but he leaves his his family, such as it is. Yeah, <laughs> where they are to go check on these kids. It's literally like you know he's he's try he. he I actually his, love it though. His but, dilemma is: Do I save these kids or do I take these stones? Or do I go? Yeah. Which is, I don't know. That ambiguity is explored far in far more subtle ways in Raiders. This is very on the nose. Yeah, right. It's like there's there's a right answer and a wrong answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which there isn't necessarily with the arc or with the the idol. Yeah, right. right. There's no easy answers there because it's a 70s movie that mm-hmm. just happened to be made <laughs> after the 70s was over. <laughs> but this is an 80s movie where it's like we've got to see the moral contrast clearly. Right. Sure. In in you know uh <laughs> <laughs> the the sharper image came into my mind. I was like, Why did I kind of? Because of course it was like a big thing in the eighties, wasn't it? Well, I also uh, get getting into the sloppy hero aspect of it. I love I love this moment where he's he he goes behind the doors of the Temple of Doom to see all yeah. the kids working in the in the mine. And concentration camp, I think, is the word you're looking yeah, for. Yeah, yeah. And is then it, he this sees... is a sensationalized version of what Spielberg <laughs> would later explore with Schindler's List, I think. Well, lo and behold, what does he see? He sees Pat Roach down there whipping a child. In brown face. In brown face. So he takes a rock and throws it at his head. Yeah. And I love I what I love is the the idea that this character is kind of so clueless because Pat Roach turns around and sees him and starts yelling and everybody starts like kind of climbing up after yeah. him. And it takes him a second to stop being so fucking pleased with himself. He's sort of smiling at yeah. the fact that he was able to hurl that rock at him 
really like, makes me I laugh. Also, it's great. I like the story point as well that... Well, we we already know that they've been discovered because of that great jump scare on the balcony, which, again, proves Spielberg was yeah. a real loss to the world of slasher cinema. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, that face popping up on the balcony, which is, again, is one of those those moments in a movie that I can never predict exactly when it's going to happen. Exactly when it's no going to happen, right. See, see it. Um, and so I, I like the fact that the audience is watching the scene with the knowledge that it doesn't really matter what Indy does in this scene. That he's pre-fucked. Yeah, right. <laughs> and he turns... Because not, that's not what... Uh, I mean, possibly that snake alarm. But um, <laughs> throwing the rock makes no difference, right? Because he turns yeah, right. around and they're already there and they do their knife pull. And they do the knife pull, right. And it's just like... I like that, I like that we explore his him making the moral decision in real time but i'm also glad that the plot doesn't hang on it you know what i mean mm-hmm. like I'm, I'm glad that that's not the reason he gets caught and otherwise he would have got away with it yeah right i like this sense of no you're in the temple of doom i mean it's you're right fucked. up there yeah in the right title. <laughs> you're not getting out of the temple of doom because it's the temple of doom yeah it would be great if it was in neon above the skull in the temple of <laughs> it just says temple of doom and then, but some of the letters have gone out. So it's gone like out, yeah. Temple right. of Dom. <laughs> Molaran's like, what does it say up there? Mm-hmm. Uh, it actually says Emple of Om. But, uh, and my next note is children in cages. Well, and our heroes. Yeah. So one movie from the mid 80s shaped an entire political party's immigration policies right here. Mm-hmm. There's some right-wing movie that begins with, like... Yeah. <laughs> begins with, like, Donald Trump sitting in the movie theater in 1984 going, Kids in cages. That's what they... they that's what this movie got yeah. right. I gotta find a way to become president so I can make this happen. Yeah. So these following scenes with the blood of Kali... <laughs> <laughs> you almost threw up a little bit there in your mouth. Well, that's what the movie's trying to make me do. First of all, these these skinny kids freak the fuck out of me every time. Uh-huh. I don't know what machinist like lifestyle Spielberg inflicted on these kids to make them look this way, but I don't <laughs> like thinking about it. I I still like that as dark as this moment is, or this portion of the film, Spielberg is still trying to pepper comedy in. When Pat Roach walks up to a a a bound and well not gagged but a bound Indiana Jones and Indiana Jones just says hi <laughs> <laughs> well we, right before he's force fed the blood dare of Kali dare I say we need this so we won't shoot ourselves in the head perhaps because let's think about what's going on in this scene he's being force fed demon blood mm-hmm. he's being tortured via voodoo doll yes He's being whipped like Jesus. <laughs> and yeah, this is where Molaram hits him with the thieves like you. Yeah, right. He's also like a reverse Yoda or Yoda from the prequels. Because uh, he says, you will, Dr. Jones. You will. You will. Um, at the conversation they have, I don't know if, it, if there's any specific polls in there, but it reminds me of Dr. No, the conversation Bond has with Dr. No in, in the in that movie what a vivid imagination yeah i love that line sounds a little bit like 
you know, the old world domination. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the whipping feels like another step too far, like full-on bondage in a kid's movie. It's the What it is is it's the adding of the whipping of short round. <laughs> That's where you draw the line? It's yeah. It's bad when it's happening to Indy, too. Well, it's not good for our hero, but you, you know, you, there's that part of you that knows that knows he's an adult that got like himself into this situation. This movie. <laughs> it wasn't optimum. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We had some issues. He was stealing from them. He's getting his comeuppance. Well, I mean, but that's... leave the children alone. Yeah. And we did. It, uh, this is what. Well, I don't know where we realize, but this consolidates the fact that the this is an inversion of the Nazis because they're an, another extremist political sect. Mm-hmm. Um, but this time it's religious rather than politically based. Right. But let's not, you know, let's talk about that inversion for a moment, too, because this is the only movie. Well, not the only movie, but without Nazis? basically the only movie without Nazis. We have Call Russians Nazis. in the kingdom of Call the Crystal Nazis. Skull. But they're just surrogate Nazis. Yeah, these aren't surrogate Nazis. No, yeah. This is, and even the even the voodoo doll thing, which you think is like a Westernization of of the um, the the kind of thuggy cult that this is based on, mm-hmm. has precedent. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think it was like a little, it's like a Indiana Jones stuffy the way it is in this movie, but. <laughs> I do believe that they experimented with voodoo or, okay. you know, like an equivalent. So it's, it's unusual. It's again, it's like there's moments in this movie that get unusually kind of historically, culturally specific. And this is sort of one of them because they're, they're, they're not talking yeah, right. in general terms about what's going on. It's they're talking about Kali. They're talking about the Christian God, you know, mm-hmm. they're, it's very clear where these people are coming from. They have a viewpoint. <laughs> and uh, Indy gets poisoned for the second time in the movie. Mm-hmm. But this time it isn't fun hijinks. No, yeah. So this I guess time it, it gives you the cramps in your candle room. It's the... Again, <laughs> sounds very dirty. Cramps in your candle room. <laughs> But actually, what we what, the, the real version of that is more disturbing than what you just said. <laughs> I mean, first of all, the force feeding of the Kali blood, the, the visceral yeah. terror of it is palpable. Mm-hmm. And, you know, credit to Harrison Ford when he becomes bad indie. Or yeah, at least, right. Or at least worst indie. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> he, play, he, he plays it, he plays it perfect, perfectly. Yeah. I do wonder why we do we feel the need to do this in sequels because this is Superman three territory. Already. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. But he's great as Bad Indy. Yeah, very much so. Very believable. Little too like again too believable for a kid who might think that who might not understand that this is a convention and he's going to go back to being good. Mm-hmm. It really play. It really. But I remember. I can remember seeing that as a kid and kind of seeing it through short rounds uh, experience and eyes, you know? I mean, obviously he gets captured and he's not drinking the blood, but he's got to escape. He's Mm got to get into the chamber. And that idea of him saying, it's me, it's me, it's me, and him getting hit 
and he's in tears when he has the torch and says, oh, yeah. you know, Indy, wake up, please. And he and when he burns him and finally wakes him up. And then it's well, so weird that like Steven Spielberg can get a moment of comedy out of something so dark when Indy, you know, when Indiana Jones says, wait, he's mine. And he's like holding him over the lava pit that they're about to sacrifice Willie into and raising his fist to hit this child and says it's me kid i'm okay yeah you know and it's it's like a it's like popping that balloon it's that sigh of relief yeah. that we're all going to be okay now you know and and boy do we need it yeah i think i think he's great reacting to the, when he's getting whipped as well he has this look on his face that is really i really like the acting choice there it's like it's it's not just physical pain it's also annoyance like imagine yeah, being, right. it's like imagine being whipped all day how fucking annoying that would be in addition to everything else <laughs> sure and then you know in Harrison Ford body by Jake yeah you know even sexier when he's evil eviler indie <laughs> and then Chad Lyle is just there and we're like oh i guess he's a he's part of it too yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> and there was a deleted scene where um, Willie managed to get away, break free of the the knife pullers, and mm. um, she got back into the bedroom and saw Chad and she was like, "Oh, help, help! You know, with the you gotta gotta save me." And he pretends that he's gonna save her, and then reveals that he's the villain. So, oh, I see. I guess they felt they didn't need that. I'm not sure they necessarily did, but it is a little bit weird when he just pops up. I guess you. I never felt. I never a... felt like that. Like he, he doesn't seem like the, the nicest of people. Sure, but uh, that could be a red herring. Yeah, true. And that he actually could be an ally. But anyway, he's 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 there. Yes. And this is where you know, sort of, we see the Marion inversion because. She's, well, and, uh, she's we a also powerless... get little Maharaja. She, he's there too. Yeah, he's a. You know, the active heroine has become the powerless female victim. I mean, even when Marion was bound and gagged, you didn't feel like she couldn't fight back. But mm -hmm. which plays better to the horror of it. But there's some gender representation problems in there, right? And it's kind I of I think like... it plays into the horror of it and the serial nature of it. And the slasher, because it's like, this is a repeat kill, isn't it? We've seen... Yeah, right. We've seen the sample kill. You know, we talked about this in Friday the 13th, the training wheels kills. Yeah, and now we, we know how it will go if it does happen. And now it's potentially going to happen to one of the lead characters. But I hope that the, the previous guy who had his heart ripped out, I hope his ghost is in that chamber somewhere... And he's saying to himself, oh, all I had to do was, like, cover my heart with my one free hand and he wouldn't have taken it? Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> it's, it's like, because they start off, I, I, you can sort of see how they, <laughs> you can see the writing process. It's like, okay, so we've set this up. How does Willie not have a heart ripped out in this? Scene? Right. <laughs> and then they're just like, I was like, okay, so Molaram can, can make this Indy's first sacrifice. It's like, okay, that'll delay things a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then what do we do from there? It's like, I don't know. I guess he just has to decide not to do it this time. Yeah, totally. For no particular reason. <laughs> Luckily, he's a good enough actor that you almost buy it. Almost. Like, it's yeah. it's only it's only a couple minutes later when you go, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're just, you're just like, why, why is she getting the, the VIP treatment? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and the spit... You, 
the the spit in the face. A lot of bodily fluids in these movies. Yeah, right. Far too much saliva for my life. You can't you can't get away with that in the COVID days. <laughs> yeah, it really stings, doesn't it? I don't it think is... so. No, uh, absolutely. It would have to it would have to be CGI now. <laughs> and you know the this is again this is where Spielberg comes into his own. A child hero saves the day. Yeah, right. Um, he does the kind of he goes through the video game ladders <laughs> to escape. He, I like the the wake up Willie wake up as well like <laughs> when, the same year as Nightmare on Elm Street mm. Spielberg said he wanted it to feel like a nightmare and they're kind of playing right. with nightmare imagery here I like that she hits him yes <laughs> and yeah completely also but and and they don't really explain why Short Round thinks that fire will cure evil no there's no sense of why this should work but it ends up working so <laughs> we're good <laughs> the, we're like the we're like the writers on day whatever it's like it's too fucking hot we've been in yeah. the temple of doom for so long right <laughs> please let's just do it and hope we get away with it well, and he gets the stones back, and I uh, finally he does he, he he the kids are on his mind because when they say let's get out of here, he goes yeah, all of us. <laughs> so is that implying that that Willie and and Short Round have also forgotten about the kids? Perhaps so. <laughs> I tell you what does work in that scene, and I guess it, they just thought that the emotion you know that the emotion would outpace the narrative plausibility. Mm-hmm. When Short Round said, "This is one of my cry moments," where he says, "Indy, you're my best friend." Oh God! I mean, it's yeah, sad it when you me. think about it in Asteroid and you say, "He's got absolutely." Him, he's got he's got this fucking loser and the elephant. That's but, that's but absolutely. In the moment, it's very. It should touching. not be. It should. It, it should. He should not be his best friend. No. But no. when he declares that he is, it gets me every time. Oh, you know, it's 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 beautiful. It's it's um beautifully done. And again, I don't want to think about what Spielberg does to make children cry because. I've heard stories and yeah, right. Definitely taking a leaf out of Wes Craven's book, but um, <laughs> and then the, the what what is going on here with the with the worshippers? Are they are they happy or sat? I've never I don't know. Known. <laughs> They're kind of cheering, but are they going? Yeah, kill them or they yes, seem we're free. Ag- <laughs> they seem against it at first, and then wait, this might be okay for us. They're like Death Star employees, right? They're just yeah, like, they, totally. whatever, whichever way the tide is turning at that particular point. <laughs> as long as they make it out of the Temple of Doom alive, they're happy. What do we want? For whoever to wins to support us. <laughs> um, but th- this is where the, the production design comes into his own, because suddenly that moat of fire makes sense. Mm-hmm. Because if, 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 if they had stopped this... The worshippers presumably would just kind of just attack, just attack. But now they're separated by a moat of fire, so right. they can't. They can't get there. And he, this is where we get to the. Well, it starts with Shorty imitating the puncher, so he's doing more Indiana mm-hmm. Jones impersonation, and then he sort of. Uh, well, he's already done his martial arts routine, hasn't he? Earlier on. No, he'll scene. do that down in the mine shaft. He's done a little bit of it here. He's done a few kind of... Uh, he has a few kicks, kicks, yeah. Yeah. 
And then we get the the most Scooby Doo moment of the movie, which is the laughing trapdoor escape from Olaran. Oh, so good. And this is this is where it's like you feel like the writers at this point don't have a grip on cause and effect. How does also, he get out of it? Uh, trapdoor. Pretty <laughs> sure. Pretty sure that's in that video game. <laughs> I, well, you know what else is in that video game? Hmm. Quotable from the ranking episode, doesn't he? Doesn't isn't welcome? Well, oh yeah, he's yeah, welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the line was written for the video game and it only makes sense in that context. <laughs> and well, how do you totally playing the role of the Bond henchman who won't give up. I like that so you know he's he's getting stuck on that wheel and he's you know getting his probably his ribs cracked but there's a moment where he seems to get out from underneath it and he's just sort of rolling around on the ground mm. while Willie and Short Round and Indy are all hugging each other. And he's just sort of like, ow, fuck. <laughs> you know? yeah. the, they're like, yeah, he, he can't attack again, but we can't say he's just gone. Yeah, the, I, I feel like we've this we've sort of lost narrative grip on, on the scene at this point. Uh-huh. They got out of the Temple of Doom somehow. <laughs> uh, but they've not really got out. Any good, <laughs> their situation. No, because they got a... To, to quote a later movie, their situation has not improved. Not improved. But they got to get, you know, all of us out. And uh, the first thing we'll do is see Indy silhouetted in smoke and light. Yeah, he's a modern day Moses in this scene. And this is another music character turn from where we started. He was he was child skeptic at the beginning of this film. Yeah, right. He's (laughs) He's... full on. Let my people go. (laughs) This is another music turn. No. Yeah, absolutely. Love it. And we haven't even mentioned. So good. Which is a variation on the from the Anything Goes opening as well. Well, I love everything about this fight. Oh, with Pat Roach? With Pat Roach, with, the, you know, the the kids starting to attack their attackers with it's short like round. Isn't it? Where yeah. They, they break out and they go, kick out the table settings like, it's, uh, like uh-huh. it's uh Oliver, the musical. I can remember, like, with Indy walking around on those planks up above and people shooting at him and just barely missing him and close-ups of it going just behind his feet and that kind of thing. I can remember seeing the commercials of that and getting really excited. The the whip portion where he swings across while everything's going on at once. Yeah. Loved it. And again, like how anyone can question. I think people have an issue with the, the, the whip swinging in Crystal Skull. And I'm like, fuck, Temple of Doom did the same thing. Anyway, yeah. It's, it's, and this is, a again, it's like a, it's a sort of, metafilmic callback to the original movie because he's fighting with Pat Roach, but Pat Roach is playing a different character. Yeah, right. And it's one of the great disappointments of the series as it goes on. I know. That we we didn't have we don't get more Pat Roach. I mean, if you you establish this convention, you've got to follow up on it. Mm -hmm. And he's in the third movie, so there's no excuse, really. Yeah, right. They really fluffed that one. They fucked it up. Oh, this is also also my favorite pointing moment. Oh, is this it? Oh, when he swings across and people are shooting at him and, and he points at short round and he says, short round, 
quit screwing around with that kid. Oh, I love it. Does he say screw? Does he say monkeying? Quit monkeying around with that kid. Does he? I think he says monkeying because it sounds more old timey. Hmm. It's good old, good old fashioned poverty. I also, but I like, I like the, uh, <laughs> I like the moment when when Willie and Short Round realize that Indy's outmatched, and she goes, "Okay, save him." Like, yeah, oh, I love that so much. He's so. Sloppy. I love that she's trying to protect Short Round right up to the moment where she knows that Indy is outmatched. I mean, it plays the rest of the scene plays out like an like an actual cartoon, not mm-hmm. only because Willie is playing olive oil from Popeye. But also the kind of conveyor belt thing reminds me of uh, may have been the inspiration for Wallace and Gromit cartoons. <laughs> this feels like <laughs> the way that suspense is done in those cartoon yeah. shorts is the same here. It's like a very simple idea. We've got to you, you've not you can't fall into that rock crusher. You've got to stay right. out of the rock crusher. I guess video game as well. Like it's a video game idea. Um, and well. Why does I mean well, should we should we take another break? Well, I think we're gonna have to because we're not gonna get through the bridge in this segment. But um, all right, let's take a break then. Yeah, we'll come back because we'll get to the minecart. Yeah. All yeah. Right. All right. Yeah, we go. We have to we split got a, this we've episode got a handful up. of set pieces to to do with. <laughs> I'm crying out loud. All right, we're bad hosts. <laughs> We'll be back right after this. If you like podcasts like I do, boy, do I have a treat for you. You need to stay on target. And check out the Sounds and Cinema podcast. Listen as your host, sound designer and music creator, Tony Parham, and co-host, musical performer and sound lover, Derek Hansen, D-Rock if you're nasty, and I am, discuss all things sound related to film, television, stage, and theatrical productions. They discuss environmental sounds, bioacoustics, dialogue, the nature of communication through sound, But as an added bonus, they drink beer and try to... Stay on target! Find them wherever you get your podcasts and listen to the pure mania of a man who can charitably be described as Doug, the dog from Up, and another man with a soothing and sultry voice trying to get that man to... Stay on target! That's the Sounds and Cinema Podcast. Tune in and listen to the sounds they are creating just for you. And we're back. Actually finishing up. With Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, the 1984 sequel. This is this movie's so good. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's getting it's getting really good again. Yeah. As well. <laughs> yeah. I think the low point has passed, and we're we're back in. Uh, where, I, like I say, I think it has a really strong third act. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you know. Um, and what do you call it? an unassailable first act? Yeah, I mean, I kind of I had mentioned second it. Second act and the second act's fine. <laughs> you like slasher movies? Yeah, Great. I think I had mentioned it earlier in the episode, but you know, the idea, the the kind of duality of 
Indy and Short Round working mm. together for each other. Yeah. The the shots that Steve Steven Spielberg has of them fighting, uh, Indy yeah. punching Pat Roach, kind of rack focus, I think, up to to Short Round punching little Maharaja. Mm. It's all good now, shit. That I remember thinking as a kid, that made me think I could be on an Indiana Jones adventure. <laughs> well, that's I think that was the purpose, yeah, wasn't it? Totally. Sure Why you would have a you would have a basically a member of your audience in the movie. Mm-hmm. Now, does Indy does Indy try and save Pat Roach, or does he actively construct his escape so it will end in his death? I think both. <laughs> okay. But but which is it? I think at both. I think at first he is willing to try to save Pat Roach. When he sees that as useless, yeah. he he realizes that this is going to be my escape up to the rafters. <laughs> okay, all right. Yeah. Again, bit spin doctory, but I'll, I'll accept it. <laughs> but it's interesting that I don't know. This feels very Spielbergian in terms of perspective on the world. It's like. Children can be saved, but adults are kind of lost causes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it's sort of like that. That you know, there's no redemption for Pat Roach, but Maharaja Kid can live a good long life. Yeah, right. As a good guy, it was the black sleep of Cali. So, yeah, if, if you know, if if everyone pays attention to what he says, which they don't. No. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> Well, then it's off into the minecart. Oh, the one other thing I wanted to say was nothing in this movie felt more serialized than when Willie Scott first gets into the uh, the actual minecart and we go from the action-adventure music to the love theme in one fell swoop. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's I loved it so much. It's like some, sometimes jo- um, John Williams' medleys are incredible and especially the medleys he does i've been listening to the soundtrack for this movie and some of the medleys he does of these various themes is, is seamless mm-hmm. it's I, I think i think that it's really it's some of his most memorable music i wouldn't say necessarily some of his best music but it, and it you know it definitely answers uh my criticisms all right of his work well then it's off is into this, the mind this, cards yeah is this the ridification of the franchise is this where Indiana Jones the Ride was germinated? I, yeah, I mean, because it seems this this whole sequence seems to be making a very simple point of me. It's a roller coaster ride because you're actually on a roller coaster. Well, and that's they even talk about that in the in the making of that. It's very yeah. much like a roller coaster ride. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, but I'll tell we you what. About this in the well, ride. go ahead. Hmm. No, I was just going to say, I, well, just re- repeating that I think, you know, nuke the fridge and jump the shark mm-hmm. are the common use terms for when a uh, when a media property goes awry. It's the bed. <laughs> <laughs> um, first of all, shit the bed is fine. Uh, do we don't need another word? But I would go skip the minecart because <laughs> the most ludicrous things that happens in any of these movies is that minecart going off the rails and coming going back exactly on the same rails. That's the most ludicrous thing, but it's I think it's wrapped up. I think the movie acknowledges that it's ridiculous a little bit. 
Yeah, I'm not saying I have a problem so... with it. I have a problem with the people who have a problem. With okay. It. Okay. Good. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm just saying you you can't you can't turn. You know, it's sort of like as 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 someone once said to me. You know, you can't go to Hamlet and say where are the elephants. <laughs> <laughs> the guy was the guy was talking about like a, a comedy that had been reviewed as if it was a serious drama in a newspaper and he said you can't go to hamlet and say where are the elephants and I was like, it's always stuck with me what a great what a great analogy. who said that uh, a friend of mine called Nick Hall, who's actually a stand-up comedian now. We were oh, in a, man. In a um, show together at the Edinburgh Festival, and our our show, which was an adaptation of Ed, Edgar Allan Poe stories, mm. was uh, severely criticised in the media for um, being uh, not being scary enough. But what the reviewer didn't realise is that we'd adapted his comedic stories specifically so you know he was criticized basically criticizing something that, that he didn't understand gonna, they didn't understand so he says you can't go to hamlet and say where are the elephants that's great i love it yeah i'll tell you what i love about this scene yes i won't say that it's seamless but i think it's damned close to seamless the work they're doing between Practically shooting things, shooting things in miniature, how good the miniatures look. I even suspect there's some stop motion in here. Yeah, I don't I know. I thought I detected really? some shop stop motion. I mean, it's... Because then I love it even more. Well, I know, I know. That's why I bring... There's a moment where I'm like, I'm like, I think that's stop motion. And if it because is... Because they're then... also... I mean, they're using not a lot of track. They're like building a track inside of a... Again, like the wrong trousers, well, some yeah, right. <laughs> but like, <laughs> but all they're doing to cover that is just changing the lighting as they go around. It's just so easy, isn't it? It's so easy. There's so many easy solutions to to, to problems your problems like that, that no one ever thinks about anymore. Oh. Problem solvers. That's what ILM are. Mm -hmm. And it also has one of my favorite moments. Because I don't know if it was planned or not. The moment where one of the henchmen are on the back of Indy's cart mm. and Indy takes a swing at air and thinks the guy has fallen off the cart and smiles smugly over at Willie in short round just to have the guy jump back on him. One of my favorite moments in any Indiana Jones movie. I love it. Yeah. I also like uh, they have a mini cliffhanger of short round being divided yeah. between carts two between carts right and it feels again it feels like it feels like the battle for short round soul almost <laughs> it's sort of like as like is 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 sort of like is he going to be saved by these white western christians or is he gonna because the go moment where he his, actually his, separates his oriental roots <laughs> <laughs> the moment where he separates and is actually getting into the cart yeah I really thought he's they were going to do a He's Freddy still Kruger so unsafe, even though yeah. he's away from the from the henchmen. In that moment, he's still so unsafe because they're up, uh, you know, they're just too far out of that cart and uh, getting ready to get hit by something. Yeah. And this whole idea, uh, well, that, so, yeah, the, the mine car and then into the flooding. Mm -hmm. Again, set pieces come thick and fast. 
Yeah. And this whole idea of flooding a mine shaft will be used a year later in A View to a Kill for the finale as well. Yeah. With with none other than Alison Doody, who's going to be the heroine. Right, yeah. The Bond <laughs> connections are myriad. <laughs> I like the I like the water water joke, not because it's necessarily a good joke, but it feels well, it it, it feels like a joke from a comic strip. Yeah. Uh, which I'm sure it is. I mean the whole like the whole opening of Raiders was from a DuckTales comic. <laughs> but now that we've left the temple of doom behind we can do big dumb jokes again yeah right <laughs> like we're outside now it's okay <laughs> <laughs> oh i forgot to mention that we've been inside the temple of doom for a very long time with one <laughs> exterior shot in the last i don't know 40 minutes 50 oh minutes, yeah something like that I not mean, since they've arrived have we had we didn't sign up for this not since not since they've arrived have we seen sunlight. And of course, to give the behind the scenes context, again, this is Spielberg fending off Lucas because Lucas wanted this to be a haunted house movie. Yeah, right. And rather than giving him what he wanted, they they, they in every movie there's a concession to that idea. So in this one, it's Temple of Doom, which is actually a big part of the movie. In the next one, it's the German castle, which is one scene. And then mm-hmm. Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, it's the, I'm going to say, Conquistador's tomb, for want of a better... <laughs> okay, fine. I don't know. Don't know what I'm else really to call it. Pre- surround- the place that's surrounded by the living dead, or the Uga. Apocalypto. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so th- that was all Spielberg, trying, basically. Trying well, let me put it this way. Lucas like, yeah, keep Keeping him at bay. <laughs> What's funny is... Uh, you know, you have you have the flooding of the mine shaft. This is one part where I think Spielberg struggles to plausibly deny how fast water moves and how far ahead they can get of it. But we've been in the Temple Doom of Doom for so long. Once they get once they get outside and push each other to the sides, I would like one character to go, "Hey, it's daytime." Yeah, you right. know, that's how long we've been in the Temple of Doom. Well, pretty much, yeah. The exterior shot is at night as well, so they they've been in. I don't know. I mean, they could have been in there a week. Mm-hmm. A lot happened. I mean, it's a lot for a day. Well, it it seems like it's overnight. It seems like it's one night. I know, right? but when you think about what has happened since they went into the temple, of it's Doom, been it so also, much time. Yeah, right. It could it's... also be weeks. Yeah, <laughs> totally. And we go straight from one set piece into another, and. To me, this is into the... a third one. What's the third one? Well, we're we're coming to the bridge. Well, that's what I mean. I'm taking the bridge as one. Oh, oh yeah, I was is... I was the, going the... from from the mine shaft to the flooding to the bridge. Yeah, yeah. you're not wrong. You're yeah. not wrong. It is that relentless, isn't it? Um, but the the bridge, which you know, I I feel like if you have to lose one of these sequences, which might not have been a bad idea. I, I would take out the mine cart and I would just have the bridge. Oh, the bridge is so good. I thought for a half a second, I thought you were going to say take out the bridge and I was going to... No. no, 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 no. End the Zoom, drive to your house and punch you. It, it's, yeah, it, it's... Physically it's, assault you. It's stunning. It's a stunning set piece. It's and it, unbelievable. You know, even, be, even before we get to the bridge, well, Willie and Short Round are on the bridge dicking around, but mm-hmm. um, we get... One of my favorite moments of fan service in any sequel. The gun? Which is, yeah, forget, forgetting to bring the gun to a knife butt. Knife, I mean, it doesn't really make sense 
that it's a prequel. But anyway, yeah. uh, if you if you can look past that, they've got the, it's a callback inversion, right? He's right. Sort of like, totally. It's like he's we know the famous you know the scene. He gets surrounded by people with knife skills, mm-hmm. and he shoots them. Right, and that's what he's intending to do here, but he doesn't have a gun. But he doesn't have so, his gun because Willie dropped it. <laughs> So we get the, you know, we get the amusing diversion of a callback inversion to Raiders, but it turns into the sequence that we were, that that we were deprived of in the last movie. We were deprived of an elaborate, no, we were deprived of an elaborate fight sequence. Yeah, right. They made the right call there, but now they're making up for it. Mm-hmm. Because, the, because you know, the the story goes that the, the knife guy was really pissed that Harrison That he Ford, had done all this work, yeah. Yeah, he'd done all this choreography. So it's really great that in this movie you get to see what that would have looked like. Because you get a full-on <laughs> fight sequence. And it still ends with a kind of, you know, a laugh moment. A joke, yeah. Punctuated yeah, of, with a joke. Of, uh, again based around the idea of excess where Indy looks and again this is down the barrel Indy Indy looks off camera right he looks he does look above it yeah he just looks out into camera but he's so close to it but we never know what he's seeing until we do (laughs) until we do but that's the the gimmick every time isn't it yeah he's seen something uh it's actually the only point in the movie he's ahead of the audience yeah right (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and there's one moment in in every movie like that so i think i think it works really well um and that's even before we get into the bridge well and so yeah i mean that's before the bridge but once we get to the bridge the bridge it's almost as interesting a story off screen as it is in on screen oh absolutely i mean they had one sh- one take yeah to or even to just it being built by these well, engineers that just happened to be there. Yeah, you it know really what I mean? is bridge on the bridge on the river quite. Yeah, it? you can imagine this like Alec Guinness like <laughs> leader of the team. Well, and when you when you look at it, to me it it truly does seem like a feat of engineer, engineering because I can't understand how that bridge is so sturdy. Yeah, but. The first, you know, the first time Harrison Ford saw it, he just started running across it as Indiana Jones with his machete without a care in the world mm. to, to hear Steven Spielberg talk about it. And Steven Spielberg wouldn't go more than 40 feet out onto that bridge again, on either side. Again, this movie could have been the trail of the Pink Panther, really. Could have been yeah, right. whatever we whatever footage we had of Harrison Ford mm-hmm. and then a, a subplot about him going missing. Yeah, and uh, I think this, just, you know, this bridge so moment leads staged. Yeah, every time. everything about it. It's Indy's version of the Kobayashi Maru as well, because mm. it's the no win scenario. Yeah, right. I know what Kobayashi. No, I know, means. I know, but but it's <laughs> don't you condescend to me, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like a, it's a, it's kind of a, it's the rite of passage for pop culture character, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, to beat the no-win scenario, which he does in his own uniquely sloppy way. Yeah, exactly, in the only way he can. <laughs> because he's actually, you know, it's like it's like he had two options and he chose a third that only he would think of. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> and what I, I think, uh, one of the things I love about it is in the sloppy hero category, we get that moment that you 
you you really don't ever think you're going to get in an Indiana Jones movie, in a PG movie, where he just says, oh, shit. So the jokes that they use are fantastic. They Well, that's, I mean, with the cursing, it's all, they, they, you have to ration it, don't you? You get one. Yeah, exactly. In a PG movie, or you, or you only get a couple. So you have to you have to wait for your moment, and this was exactly the right moment. So the right moment. I remember I remember my teacher at school whenever we'd watch PG movies. I think it was Harry and the Hendersons. Oh She'd yeah. Stand there by the volume, turn it down, uh, button, and turn it down when she knew the shits were coming. Yeah, that's funny. Live audio mixing of Harry and the Hendersons. Oh man, I love that his sloppy hero ness will go so far as to put his friend's life at risk. Like he. He yeah. tells Short Round what he's going to do in Short Round's native language. And Short Round just says, hang on, lady, we're going for a ride. And, she, it's also and her the, reaction yeah, yeah, when he raises the machete up <laughs> and you but can she, just see like the zeal in his eyes of, I'm about to do the worst thing. The wor- I'm going to complete the worst idea in the history of mankind. And I'm kind of excited about it. And she but says, also, "Oh yeah. my God!" It, 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 but it also speaks to how they, how the relationships that they forge between them, that she clocks instantly what he's gonna do. Yeah, <laughs> and you have to know the man to know the decision. Right. Yeah. So that's what I, that's that's what like no, you know, because she she doesn't she's uh, she's not fluent in short rounds language, but she picks up on the context clues, which is that. <laughs> He's gonna make a bizarre decision. He's he's gonna go nuts. He's yeah, no, crazy. Crazy is what she uh, says. You're right. Yeah, I love the touch of when they get on the split bridge, which now has become a ladder. So I guess it's another set piece at this point. Mm-hmm. This yeah. whole thing, by the way, I mean it's filmed on like three different continents, and put together seamlessly. Oh yeah, I, absolutely, and with an intermixing of practical and digital as well. So great. I love the touch of Molaram pushing down the henchman as he climbs up. Yeah. And that's where I think he wins the 80s war in this movie because he's <laughs> it's classic 1980s CEO. It's just like I'm literally yeah. climbing the corporate ladder and push and burning Pushing you down. And I th- and well, I, pre- I just want to yeah. say too before we go on cuz I think you briefly mentioned it, but the engineering feat of blowing up that bridge yeah, and the idea because it was there were steel cables on it, so they had to like put little miniature bombs on these steel cables f- with puppets that could kick their arms and legs. The answer is always puppets. Yeah, it's great. The answer to the answer to every special effects problem is puppets. Puppets. Why don't people still realize this? Oh my god! I tell and, you, what and they have the... one chance. They have one chance to yeah. get it right. They've got like five to seven cameras going on this thing at once. And they, when you see the behind-the-scenes footage of it going, yeah, you're seeing exactly what you see on screen, and you just think it's perfect. It's perfect. So something else, and and the detail is kind of it's Orson Welles level of cinematic detail. That great story of Orson Welles filming a snowstorm in the reflection in a window, mm-hmm. just because it was the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, because because he is like no well there's a there's the there's a world going on off screen we need to see it yeah and they do a similar thing here where they and they didn't need to do this and yet when you see it in the film you realize that they couldn't do without it they put dust on the bridge yeah right so that the dust falls, falls. as the bridge falls right and you realize that you actually can't do without that detail mm-hmm. 
but the foresight to think, oh no, but dust would fall. <laughs> right. I mean, again, it's like thinking on a whole nother level. Yeah. That is not just about what you see on screen. It's about building the world on screen. Right. Because that's past use. That's not. That's not what. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Right. We have to allude to the people who've walked on this bridge before. Before. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing stuff. And I praise the distinctiveness of John Williams scoring in this, but I got to say, this music for this scene is the Ewoks in reverse. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't resist it. Clearly, Molaram is, uh, you know, he's he, he's got a bit, hasn't he? He's he's, he's not going to let the bit of the heart ripping go. He's sort of no, like, yeah. It's not enough to kill someone. You have to rip the heart out before you do it. I mean, throughout this whole scene, he's got moments that I love. I like that Indy tried, you know, before the bridge blows up, when he he threatens to to put the stones over the bridge and just throw them away, hmm. and Molaram just kind of calculates and says, go ahead, Dr. Jones. They will be found. You won't. Great. <laughs> it is It is great. And there's kind of a stop hitting yourself moment where he's, he's yeah, kind of like, like hits Molaram with his own heart-ripping yeah. fist. Well, I, the, in that moment, I always ask myself, why does he choose to make a fist in that moment, Molaram? The sad fact is that Molaram wins because he says he'd turn Indy into a true believer and now he did because yeah. according to this scene, Indy is now converted to Hinduism. I that you know he says you you prefer, you portrayed uh uh Vishnu, is that what he says, or Kali? No, not Kali. 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 You've betrayed Kali, I think he says. Well no, Kali is the blood, is is the Yeah, but I um, maybe I'm not he does well say Vishnu. In. Yeah. But he's Full on, he's con you know. So Molaram essentially won the day because he did turn <laughs> India into a true believer. Well, the other thing I like is because all of a sudden he's going to give some kind of incantation to, you know, you you start asking yourself how the fuck does he know to make these stones glow without? It seemed like he just learned earlier in the movie. Oh, put them together, <laughs> you know. But so, it, but is it is it a combination? Isn't it a does he need the incantation? Isn't he just doing that for dramatic effect? Or do you think that's what makes the stones burn? It seems like it may... It, it looks to me like that's what makes the stones burn. Hmm. Interesting. But by the time I start asking myself, we know that he's a learned man, but by the time we get to Crystal Skull, yeah. like he's speaking the language that seems like a dead language of people yeah. climbing out of rocks that... Mm -hmm. yeah, it's like, he's got too much, too much knowledge, too much, entirely too, too, too much, much fucking knowledge. Too much fucking knowledge, yeah. <laughs> uh, and this is like a mini version of the arc opening, right? The the burning... Yeah. The diamonds glowing, burning through the the handbag. Yeah, plus it's, it's kind of punctuated. Yeah, it's punctuated with a real cartoon Peanuts, <laughs> Lucy <laughs> and Charlie Brown kind of moment. <laughs> <laughs> and then... Uh, like, how evil must this cult be that the British army are your cavalry? Yeah, right? These are the oppressors. These are the bad people. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, this again, like, this is this is playing with that boy's own fiction. Well, for the cavalry comes from West, you know, Western sure. media. Um, the Western genre. But the, this whole idea of the, you know, the kind of Zulu idea, this whole kind of mythology around the the British Empire and and their kind of tales of daring do, which is what Michael Palin was riffing on in the Ripping Yarn series. Mm. 
and it all it, it all comes to a uh, and <laughs> I was about to do them because it's really it's really going to disprove my point. I was about to do the the music of the British Army arriving and say, <laughs> "Oh, what another great distinctive theme!" But I realized what I had in my head was the walking music from the uh, Vespin City, Cloud City. Oh. I was about to go da 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 da, which is the Vespin music. So you're trying to uh, reprove your point. And my prejudices are just so ingrained, I yeah. can't help myself. <laughs> and this is the first cliff re- resurrection we get from, from uh, not the last, the first cliff re- resurrection of Indiana Jones. Yeah, right. Which gets hammier and more protracted in each sequel. But this one, <laughs> you think this one would milk it for more, but it doesn't milk no. it at all. And something, this, when I was a kid... It was moments like this that made me acutely aware of the key differences between James Bond and Indiana Jones. Mm. When you see him come up from the from the cliff side, bruised and battered, mm-hmm. because I knew, you know, I, even as a kid, I was like, James Bond would never let himself get into this state. You know, <laughs> think about the spy who loved me and, until the Daniel Craig era, of course. Yeah, right. But, um, you know the you know Roger Moore in the desert and the spy who loved me in a you know, just with his tuxedo over his shoulder. Mm-hmm. Um, and compared to this, you know, that's the difference. That's why they're different. Right. Even his hand that, that brings the rock up is bandaged. I, I Yeah, he, he, he has to wear the scars. Yeah. And only Daniel Craig's Bond wears the scars. <laughs> this is, And this is interesting. Are, are we still supposed to believe he's going to run away with the stones at this point? Oh, I don't. Because when he produces them on the cliffside, it's like, still a piece of shit, though. Yeah. <laughs> still thinking I guess about you're the right. fortune yeah. and glory. I think it wants to make it. It wants the next scene to resolve that rather than this scene. Yeah, because they do have because that moment where he could have just where... let them go, right? He could have just been right. It could have just been like like the Grail in the next movie, or the well, he doesn't necessarily let the art go, but he's just like, okay, I guess it's time to chop chasing that. Yeah, um, but Willie has that moment too when they return to the village. He's like, so you gave it back. You're giving up your fortune and glory, and that's where yeah. he says, yeah, they just put it in a museum. But you're right I'm, in the I'm sense tempor- that I'm temporarily disillusioned about museums. Yeah, I was in favor of them. I will be in favor of them again. Oh, I'll be. Right I'll now, be I'm skeptical. I'll be totally in favor of them soon enough. <laughs> Within the next couple of years. Yeah. Um. And then we go back to the village, mm-hmm. where I know it's because darkness has lifted, but. It looks extra idyllic in the village, which sort of doesn't help. Yeah, the those crops grew. Movie. Those crops, those crops that died, they grew back fast. They grew back fast, and and everything's bright and colorful again, and mm-hmm. life is good. The children haven't even cut. They seem to have learned how to live without the children. Yeah. They really need to come back at this point. <laughs> the children, um, the children are going to come back, and they're not even really out of their chains yet. And I can't believe that the Spielberg waits this long. To celebrate the multicolored beauty of Indian life and life landscapes, after all the harm he's done to that to those people in this movie, <laughs> now after all that, you're gonna show what it, you know the 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 beauty of Indian life. Yeah, and guess what? Laughing Boy's back. <laughs> <laughs> this time, though, he's got something legitimately to laugh about. <sighs> 
he shouldn't have been laughing before when those when his people were starving and the children were gone, but now he's But now All he's... the children aren't back yet. This might be premature laughter actually. <laughs> I think he sees them. I think that's why he's laughing. To me this is where if it was going to be a, a great movie, this is where the movie would end. It, they would come over the hill side the children would appear in the background and we go into a 70s helicopter shot like the end of a dirty harry <laughs> dirty harry movie <laughs> and i realize i realize that they that that would have been unsatisfying because you still you would leave it on a cliffhanger of is indy going to give them back the stones or not mm-hmm. but i kind of like that ending it is more 70s i acknowledge it's probably not something they would think of in 1984 but everything that comes after this is just a little kind of Six. It's hammy because you get the kiss, you get short round covering his eyes. It's I mean, like at it... the end of an unsuccessfully comic Star Trek episode. <laughs> yes, it feels more sitcom than anything else. But also, you know, you know, mid eighty Spielberg's never going to resist the low hanging sentimental fruit of the, no, yeah, the pa- the parent child reunions. Absolutely, he's not going to run away from that at this point in his career. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, it's and this is where you're reminded it's like, oh, he's going to go from this into the beginning of Raiders. That doesn't make any sense. Nope. <laughs> um, and that, you know, all that fabricated indie willy tension, which is kind of belabored by this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, although you this seem, is the third time you seem like they would have worked past this in their relationship. Yeah. You should think after he nearly sacrificed her to yeah a thuggy cult to both but... lava and gators or crocodiles <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, oh well and then the then the elephant blows water in their faces as it should although again this is again like i i thought that when i rewatched this knowing that this was post Spielberg and Lucas divorce. I'd feel all of that in the Temple of Doom scenes, mm-hmm. but the idea of them being cock blocked by a bunch of kids, <laughs> I'm like, that's Spielberg being honest about parenting and yeah, right. Why he might be in a situation where he's now divorced. <laughs> so, and that's the end of the end of the movie. I mean, well, give us a. Why don't you give us a credit check then? Yeah. John Williams starts playing all the film's music at once. There's <laughs> a cacophony of themes. <laughs> Great separately, but a little overwhelming when they're played together. Uh, chief hairdresser, Colin Jameson. Hairdresser, Janet Jameson. Oh, nepotism. What is their relationship and how do they feel about their hierarchy? <sighs> Indian advisor, Christy Janaki Rathod. How much shit did this crew member eat during this movie? <laughs> Uh, excuse me. I just, you guys are being a yeah, little bit racist. Yeah, yeah. No, we, we, I don't know why it's Woody Allen. We don't, yeah. no, we don't eat that in our country. No, we don't. <laughs> Nobody fact, eats smaller snakes out of a bigger snake. If indeed that's what's going on. Um, that's cause it's, it's, yeah. There's contention about that too. Effects creative consultant Phil Tippett. So that's oh. what made, made me think that maybe there was slow motion in some scenes. The mm-hmm. heart wound closing's got to be stop motion. Stop right? motion. Yeah. That I agree with. Yes, that looks like heart stop motion. Heart stopping motion. <laughs> Matt photography David Fincher. 
Yes, that David Fincher. Ooh, that's but a I good also poll. Want to, I feel like I should mention the other matte photography credit, which is Deborah Morgan, because I bet being underneath David Fincher, she never gets she even gets any mention. So Deborah <laughs> Morgan did matte photography too, everyone. All right. The pilots of the plane at the beginning get a featuring credit. Was it so important to have those two actors play those roles? All they know. do is laugh like every non-English character in this movie and jump and jump out of a plane amid feathers. First and second boy in cell are end credits that definitely signify you've been to some dark places in your movie. <laughs> do you see that credit, you know some shit's gone down. <laughs> And finally, physical conditioning for Mr. Yeah. Ford. Body by, by Body Jake. Body by Jake Incorporated. <laughs> saw that. Some credits just need to be read in their entirety. <laughs> That's good stuff. Sure is. No, oh my. Good stuff. Not great. <laughs> good memoirs. Not great memoirs. Yeah. Do you remember that from the George Bush episode of The Simpsons? He's finishing his memoirs and he goes, good memoirs, not not great memoirs, yeah, but good. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, love, I love how much they dislike each other. <laughs> and, the, and the Jerry Ford button is the, the, Ford the key button. to that episode. Do you like hot dogs and beer? <laughs> I do. All right. Anything left for you? No. We said we certainly said it all. We've I've my I literally my heart has been pulled out of my body. <laughs> it's currently on fire. <laughs> We're gonna have to go over the definition of literally. <laughs> well, this movie doesn't clear anything up about. It. No, you're right. At what point? At what point does the heart stop beating? well ladies and gentlemen there you have it indiana jones and the temple of doom this is our favorite i feel like we're in the minority but i also feel we're right Mm -hmm. i feel like we've offended some minorities as well but that's a different story that's this movie's fault (laughs) we can we can pretend that that's the case but All right, you're going to have to tell us what you think. So find us on Facebook, find us on Instagram, find us on nothing else. Send an email to everythingsequel at gmail.com. His name is Tom Stewart. He's from Lonesome Whistle Productions. I'm Michael Schantz. I'm from the How Dare You Awards. When you hear us next time, we're talking Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. The last of the good movies, we think, in this series. Say goodbye to everybody, Tom. Okie dokie, Dr. Jones. Hold on to your potatoes. (laughs) I felt like I should save that one for the end because it it seemed that the movie would be harder to defend if I began with that. Agreed. (laughs) I like that you didn't try to affect any kind of accent. Well, that's the the right choice. It was the right choice. Also, Short Round is awfully interested in Indy's balls throughout this movie. 
Yeah. No time. No time for love. Hold on to your potatoes. Mm. Very good then. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> it's over. <laughs> Go home. Go what are home. you do? What are you doing? Still listening? You're listening to great music, is what you're doing. We'll be back. Thanks for listening, everybody. The wrong great music, sir. All right. Thank you. Listening to great music is what you're doing. We'll be back. Thanks for listening, everybody.